This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 85. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today we have part two of our We Never Learn podcast, because today we are answering all your Q&As and our We Never Learn Q&A extravaganza. But before we get on to that, we have some big news about the show we need to announce to all of you now. Oh, big, big news? Like, like, big like, news. like, like really big news, right? Right? show yeah big news that will really change the podcast going forward or at the very least i think it'll be a great asset to the podcast going forward and it's a new way for you the listeners to get involved with us as well because we after listening to listener feedback and also reviewing the necessity of it we have started up a manga mavericks patreon oh wow that that is huge news yes the show has been going on for over three years now and in that time we have recorded over 100 podcasts and counting and we have had the opportunity to do so many amazing things with the show, including retrospectives on series we love and interviews with guests in the industry, including longtime heroes that we've been a big fan of, like Jason Thompson. But the show has always operated for free as a hobby of ours, and it comes with its own costs. We have hosting costs, we have the costs of buying material for the show, and it takes a huge time cost to edit and record the show. And because we increasingly have to juggle workloads and meeting uh, financial deadlines and necessities, and we have to weigh that against what the time investment goes into the podcast. You know, there are things that we want to do with the show that we can't do at our current ability because we just don't have the time and resources to do so. So what we're hoping to do with the Patreon is to provide a f- supplement to help support the show, to give us a little bit of income, to give us some financial leeway when we're, you know, doing our regular workload. So we don't have to, you know, worry too much about taking the income we're earning from our day jobs and putting that back into the show. But we can use the Patreon to help support future episodes of the show and future projects we want to do with it. We have come up with a few tiers and a few goals that we have in mind. Uh, One of the big goals we have just starting off that's a really easy goal to reach, I think, is, you know, our current hipcast hosting costs run about $5 a month. And this has been taken care of the webmaster of all-dash-comic.com, Tyler, for a while. I mean, since the, ever since the show started. And we're hoping by reaching this goal at just $6 a month that we can pay off that hosting cost. And that would be a great asset. 
Then, moving on from there, we have a $11 per month goal to just help us pay for our monthly subscriptions to the Shonen Jump service, which is an invaluable resource to us because it has such a great backlog of Shonen series on there that we want to read for the show, like Dragon Ball and Yu-Gi-Oh! And so we'd like to be able to use income from the Patreon to go into paying for that. We have our next goal to pay for at movies, uh, because that show is completely done out of mine and Wheelord's pockets to go see anime films and review them. So... We want to do at least one a month still, but we also would are hoping not to have to spend as much as we have been to produce that show. And then we have a few fun goals. At the $100 tier goal, we have, you know, every, people have asked us, you know, to do some more community live streams. And also, I wanted to bring back manga fights. And so my idea, and we reached the $100 goal, is that we bring back manga fights as a Twitch show, free for everyone, to interact with live as the manga fight is going on. It can be an active community experience for everyone. I think that will be a lot of fun. It'll be like how the Screen Junkies movie fights currently works on YouTube. And I think... That's a really cool idea to try out. And another idea that I've seen people really have a lot of interest in, and I have had interest in, is that Reelord and I have a substantial manga collection of over 1,500 books. Wow. And we want to do a show where we go through our entire collection and review every book, all 1,500 of them. And so at the $200 goal, if we reach that income a month, we will start up a series, a weekly series, where Wheelord and I will review every book in our collection, all 1,500 of them. It'll be a years-long process, but I think it'll be a lot of fun because we have a lot of interesting stuff that we've accumulated over the years. But our big goal, I think, that we want to reach this year that I think would really help the show out in particular is our $260 a month goal because this is the goal in which we would truly break even on producing the show because this is the goal that we set aside to account for all the books that we need to buy this year in order to cover them on the show. And this includes all the volumes of Banana Fish we need for our Banana Fish episode. It includes... All the volumes of Yona the Dawn we need. All the volumes of Chiafaru we need. And Twenty-Eight Century Boys. And really, this is to support Colton purchasing these books for the show. Because some of these series are very costly. And I am lucky to have a local library system that has most of these available. But Colton lives paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, sometimes money runs tight. And I think at this goal, though... We wouldn't have to worry about, oh, whether, you know, uh, he might have to bow out of some of these episodes. Mm -hmm. So I think that it'd be really awesome, you know, to be able to do all of these episodes as we intended with both of us together. And I think that if we reach this goal, that will be achievable. And this is like the really big goal that I am hoping we can reach with the show this year. And I think that it's achievable, and but we definitely need your guys' help to make it possible. And we have other goals past that that I think are really fun and exciting. But this is the really big one I want to stress. This and all the ones that came before are all the really essential goals we want to reach in order to produce the episodes of the show we want to make this year. 
or and you know to reward you guys for supporting us you know we are going to be offering rewards with our tiers and we have five tiers starting off with a two dollar tier this tier will uh you know will give you a special thanks on the next podcast that comes out after you become a patron and you'll get access to our discord server but if you want to pay five dollars a month or more you'll be a super maverick and you will have access to an exclusive monthly podcast for patrons only. If you want more Manga Mavericks Pascasts, at the $5 tier, we'll be recording every week a monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast for all you guys to listen to and enjoy. And not only that, but you guys, the patrons, will get to vote on the subject of the podcast, which can be pretty much about everything and anything you can think of. But that's not all, because patrons at this tier will also be able to avoid on what films we review for ad movies and what topics we duke it out on manga fights. But then at the $10 tier, you'll be able to get access to all our podcasts early in addition to the previous rewards. And then at the $15 tier, you know, over the years, we've recorded a number of podcasts that have never seen the light of day for one reason or another. And so patrons of this tier are going to get access to several of those unreleased podcasts and a collection of old hilarious bloopers get from the show. There are over 90 bloopers that I have stored away for you guys to peruse that you'll get access to at the $15 tier. And that's not all, because you also have show notes for each of the podcasts, you know, the notes that we compile that have all the news stories we talk about, that list all the Q&As for the Q&A podcasts, links to our Twitter threads and our initial talks that we write down as we read through the series we discuss on the show. You'll get access to all of that stuff. If you want a real behind-the-scenes Manga Mavericks experience, the $15 tier is where it's at. And then finally, we've got the $20 tier, where at this tier, you will be able to suggest the topics for our Patreon-exclusive podcast, app movies, and manga fights. So you, if you have an idea for something you really want us to talk about, you can pledge at this tier, and we will make your dream come true. You can choose a topic that you want us to talk about, and we will talk about it. The topics that you nominate will be voted on by every patron at the $5 tier and up, but eventually all topics that are suggested by $20 tier patrons will be covered on the show in one of the podcasts, whether it be the Patreon exclusive bonus houses, at movies, or manga fights, or the main show itself. So there are five tiers. We got a bunch of goals. The main one being the $260 a month goal to pay for all the books we need for the show this year. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of content that we've been making over these past three years. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of content that's going to become available to you for the first time if you're a big Manga Mavericks fan, if you become a patron of us. So support the show, get access to a bunch of cool new Manga Mavericks content. And I think that it's only helped the show grow and be able to do bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, man, I'm I'm so like anxious and excited to see you like, how this is going to turn out. I'm hoping it'll turn out well. 
But uh, no, yeah, if you've ever wanted a way to support the show, you know, I, I know that we both have like our own Kofi pages and stuff, but let, let's be honest, I, I I think I think it's a little... I don't know. I, I've always felt like it's it's kind of hard to rem- like for one, it's hard to remember to like you know to always plug those at the end of episodes, and two, like I think it'll be easier to have like you know just one place where people can go and support us rather than trying to you know choose one or the other to support individually. I think I think having one Patreon for for someone to donate to, I think will just make things a little easier. Most definitely. The Manga Mavericks Patreon is for the Manga Mavericks podcast. As you can see for all our goals, all of the goals are going back into making the show. And that's what we want. We want to just have the resources necessary in order to continue producing the show and to expand the show to do more creative projects that we can't currently do at our current level, but we really want to do. And I'm really excited for this and to see what we can achieve with this and every dollar will count as you can see by the lower goals that even just a few patrons just a few contributions will help us achieve so much already so that would be a great help to us and it would really give us a lot more flexibility and the stuff we want to do with the show this year any patronage uh, through our Patreon is very much appreciated. No matter how much you decide to or can give, we we really appreciate whatever we whatever we uh, receive. Um, but uh, what what what's the link to that Patreon there, Lum? Patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Boy, that's uh, hear, hearing that out loud is uh, is definitely an experience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely start plugging that at the end of every episode. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, with that out of the way for now, I think we should just move on to the rest of the episode. Get get and uh, get our get our listeners' questions answered. That's right. We've study up, and now it's time to answer all your questions. Will we get full scores? We'll have to see. But let's jump right in because the clock is ticking and the buzzer is ringing, and we are going to answer your Q and A's. The winner. So it's come to this, a Manga Mavericks Q&A pod, because we got too many questions to answer on our series discussion. We never learn, do we? But that's the subject of this podcast, this special Q&A podcast, that is. We never learn Q&As. We got so many of them that we could not possibly answer them on our We Never Learn discussion podcast, but that's why we got this podcast going. We got Buggy and Hoven back on and we're going to answer all your questions on the series and a lot has changed since then because the anime has come out and now we have some opinions on that we can share <laughs> uh, I, I sure do <laughs> uh, yeah uh, I'm a little I think I lean more on the positive with it uh, it's it's quite under animated um, as I was expecting but I still think a lot of the overall charm is there. Uh, the biggest major gripe I have with it is that it cuts the scenes of the cutaways towards Yuiga being very frustrated with how how well Fumino and Ogata were performing in their subjects. Um, 
Because it, it's a seemingly minor detail, uh, but it, it does feed into where his character goes later on in seeing them as academic rivals. It's definitely a part of the character arc and like establishing characterization for all those characters. I think really speeding through those introductions did a massive disservice to establishing the characters and like what their unique quirks were and like what their characterizations were. Like uh, Fumino's whole sleeping gimmick, like at the start, you know, like just cutting to her giving the essay without any of the buildup, without any of the idea. And then just saying, oh, she she was she was sleeping till the end of the test. It was rot of tell and not showing. And that's what the manga was doing well. Uh, it, gave, it gave us a setup and payoff, but here we just get exposition. Yeah, the, the thing that bugged me the most was the fact that, like, early on, Naruyuki is, is seen as... Like, they essentially pull a bait-and-switch with his character. He yeah. comes across as, like, a really smug, condescending, almost sinister character. And then you see sort of his family situation. You see, you know, that he's poor. And you immediately realize, oh, okay, now his motivation makes sense. Now we know why he's so driven. Whereas here, he's established early on as the smiling doof he becomes, you know, later on. And it's just offhandedly mentioned that... His family's poor, and that's why he's getting the VIP recommendation. Yeah, they move that scene to the towards the end of the episode, and we don't really get a clear sense of what his motivation is, which was such an integral part early on of like establishing. Okay, we're getting introduced to this guy at the start, and like he seems like oh, this is your stereotypical brain character who's obsessed with grades and is snooty towards those who he thinks are not taking school seriously. But then we understand when we cut away to him going home that oh, this is his background. This is why academic sex is so important to him is that his family is not doing well financially and he wants to do well in school so he can go to a good college and get a good job to support them. And we save that scene of him going home and seeing how his family lives towards the end. But even then, we're speeding through so much of his interactions with his family. We're just not getting a clear sense of what is motivating him, why he wants his recommendation so badly, which is such an integral part of the premise. On the more fortunate end of what they cut out, unless the second episode wants to completely bite me in the arse and retroactively prove me wrong... I'm pretty sure they cut out one of the gratuitous shower scenes. They do. They cut out the shower scene at the end of the first chapter. In fact, what surprised me is they cut out a lot of fan service moments from the manga. There isn't a whole lot of explicit fan service in the show. Of course, we have very male gazy framing, uh, underskirt shots and stuff, but we don't see any panty shots or anything like that. And even close-ups towards, like, the girls' rear ends, we're not seeing, like, like in the manga, how their pants are, like, riding up their butt crowd, so we see their entire curvature. Like, we don't get that kind of ridiculousness in the show, well, thankfully. Yes. Yet, but even with the shot of Rook in the end, is not nearly as, like, uh, it's, it's not drawn in the same way as it is in the manga, where it's like, you see the curvature and it's, like, really riding up her ass. It's like, you kind of see, like, the outline, but it's not, like... It's like in shadow. It's not like this really well-defined thing. And I am relieved that this show actually has cut out so much fan service. Like it chose to leave in character moments and gut fan service. And that is a relief to me. I Yeah, I was 
watching this with a couple of friends and I was really worried I was going to have to like be like okay there's some there's some pervy stuff in this and, uh, and I was like really relieved when they weren't and I got to the end they were like that was actually rather cute I, I thought that was quite wholesome yeah I, I think the the anime benefits from knowing kind of where the the manga goes because early on uh, it was just a little raunchier in general a little more prone to fan service because I mean, it started out as essentially, you know, this harem series that has, you know, some fan service in it, but also has a little bit of heart. Uh, and as time's gone on, I think the series has gotten a little more serious. Um, it has not entirely, but for the most part, shied away from fan service, at least in terms of visuals. Uh, a lot of the gags are still very dependent on it. Yeah, very dependent on innuendos. Yeah, it's framed in the sense of a gag rather than uh, in as sexual of a way. And I think that actually works to the show's benefit. Most definitely. It's funny because, like, you know, th this episode is definitely is going to be out, you know, by the time I think episodes two and three of the anime are out. I'm I'm going to I'm going to put out there. I think they're going to start episode two with that shower scene. Who knows? Uh, I'm hoping not. <laughs> I'm hoping they don't. I'm. I'm. I'm I was very thankful that they uh, did not keep it in for the first episode, but you know, with Aruka, especially her stuff early on, there's a lot of uh, fan gratuitous fan service with her, and so I'm expecting to keep for them to keep at least some of that in. Like we know from the next episode preview that that shot where she grabs Rizu boobs, that's going to be in there. But even that one shot, I don't know how long to linger on it, but at least from the way that shot is done, it's not even as uh, bad as in the it was in the manga. So I have some hope that they're going to keep this stuff toned down, but I would not be surprised if they do lay into it. Who knows? If they're uh, compressing it as much as they have been as well, which seems likely because there's a lot of stuff to cover and a lot of stuff can get cut, I think a lot of times that's going to be the first thing to get cut because for the most part, it doesn't add anything to the series. Uh, like It can be removed very easily. There are very few instances in which it is actually relevant to the plot there are plot relevant moments of it for sure like that chapter where yui gets called into kira's office and she's like questioning his uh intentions as a tutor and all the girls are like busting in mentioning some very embarrassing and scandalous uh interaction they had with yuega that kind of you know is yeah, I, I don't think it'll be cut entirely that's that seems sort of yeah impossible. all that stuff that's mentioned in in that chapter i think will be retained I do have one theory about how they're going to adapt it going forward. I think rather than cutting stuff, uh, or at least like chapters, whole chapters, they'll might rearrange stuff. I can see that too. With Slice of Life series, a lot of the time with the anime adaptation, they want it to be like neatly arranged so that you get introduced to plenty of the characters, and you also end on a on something that could count as somewhat of a climax. Like I remember. I recently read the manga for Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid after finishing the anime for that, and uh, it doesn't just, like, have new material after the anime ends off. They rearranged a lot of stuff, and there's some material before before some of what they adapted. Um, yeah, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid anime, like, adapted, like, four volumes of the manga, but the climax of the anime is actually a story that's in volume two, the story of uh, Toru's dad coming to take her back. So... 
they did rearrange that to have like the climax of the anime you know be like a really emotional moment but that actually if they were adapting it linearly that would have happened much earlier on in the in the show yeah, well, that that that's also a, a Kyoto animation show, and KyoAni has a tendency. Uh, they they are very willing to rearrange things drastically and add new elements in. Uh, I've seen that in multiple adaptations of theirs. Most definitely. I think the thing that leans me more in that direction is the fact that uh, Asumi is on so much of the promotional material, uh, so they might be rearranging her introduction to come a bit sooner. I definitely think they will uh, have her debut much earlier. It's actually interesting, though, that she isn't featured that much in the opening. Like, there's, like, one shot of her. But, you know, we know that they're going to get to her. And, yeah, I, I can definitely see them, like, after they're done establishing the main cast, they, they introduce her earlier on before going back to, like, some other important storylines. I still think that the climax of this first core should probably be the school festival because that involves all the characters and it's just like this big arc that is you know involves them so that that would be a good choice yeah that's 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 what i thought they were gonna go with and that's pretty far in though that's around the 60 chapter mark so you know they're gonna have to skip stuff to get to that if they close off this show with that because i think it has been confirmed at this point that it's going to be one core at least for now so it'll if if it gets another season or it'll be split core, I don't know yet, but like it's gonna run for this season, and I think at the end of this season, like they'll do that storyline. Otherwise, I'm not sure what would be another really good storyline that involves all the characters that would be a good a good choice to have unless they invent something. Um, so I, I guess the ultimate question is, um, do you guys think just based off the first episode alone that this is worth keeping up week to week? Or do you think you guys would rather wait until it's all done and maybe marathon it? Or do you think it's just a hard skip, like in general? Well, now that I've started it, I'll probably keep watching it unless I just fall behind because I I don't have time. Because that's just how I am with shows. And I do like We Never Learn. And this is a pretty decent adaption, if not, you know, amazing. Like, I do have quibbles with how it is truncating parts of the story to the detriment of the characterization of various characters, particularly Uega. I think they did uh, establishing his character in the service. But, you know, I like these characters. I like, you know, the story. So I would like, to, I would probably, I'll probably keep watching the show uh, unless, you know, I just end up falling so behind in it. Like I, I don't feel like catching up, but you know, nowadays I've been pretty good with that. Uh, for newcomers, I don't, you know, it's interesting. Most of the reactions I've seen online have been pretty, yeah, that's okay. You know, on that level. Like, no one seems to vehemently dislike it, but no one's, like, blown away by it either. You know, there's like, yeah, this seems like a good little harem rom-com. Uh, nothing that I they I haven't seen before, but nothing offensive either. You know, it's got a decent, hard, decent characters. That's the general consensus of most of the reactions I've seen from newcomers. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's, probably best case scenario in the sense that at least no one is like actively turned off by it people seem like yeah uh i know what i can generally expect from these kinds of shows but this isn't a bad example of that yeah i feel the same mm-hmm. way i like the anime feminist um uh, review title finally a harem with a protagonist that doesn't suck yeah <laughs> uh, i mean yeah pretty much <laughs> 
Yeah, they wrote a very uh, well-balanced, fair review of the series. Uh, so I, I was uh, I was happy that they had a you know pretty leaning positive, but you know still pretty, but not like enthusiastic. I, I was I thought that was best case scenario for, for the show. It could <laughs> yeah. the reaction could have been so much worse if they had emphasized the fan service, especially if they kept that shower scene in the first episode. But I will say the best part about the show so far is the opening and ending teams are really great. Uh, the visuals are super cute, and it's the opening in particular is really masterfully directed. I was excited after seeing the opening. It's like, wow, there's so much potential to like realistic movement and like these really smooth movements and great, interesting framing. Uh, I hope the show is directed like this, and it's not. It's more flatly directed, and there's like some pretty, you know, pretty uh, kind of. It's, the attention to detail in the opening is not reflected in the show. Like, particularly in the night scenes, like, the lighting just does not make sense at all. Like, characters are lit as they would be in daytime, you know, so it's not... The attention to detail is just not there in the show itself, but the opening, I mean, that that was real... Was, that really impressed me. I, I, I was really happy about the opening. Except the fact that there was not any Seikijo in the opening. <laughs> you know, that disappointed me. At least she's in the ending theme, but... Yeah, the opening was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I I like I like how they snuck in the um the localized title in the in the opening. That was pretty nice. Jokes on you, users of the title. We can't study you, scam laden <laughs> scum. The official title has been validated and made official by this anime. You cannot ignore it. It's right there in the show. You gotta call it its localized title. We never learn. Get out of here. We can't study nonsense. I, I do appreciate uh, that the anime, like, at least on Crunchyroll or whatnot, it's subtitled Boku Ben because that's just such an easy way to refer to it. Uh, it's quicker. It has a nice ring to it. But We Never Learn is a really good translation of a title because, like, it has this dual meaning to it that's great. I think that it's, you know, one of the better localized titles out there. It was so clever, yeah. I We've talked about the ingeniousness of that uh, decision to translate it as that before, but yeah. it is it, Because there is so much nuance, so much... Uh, meaning you can take out of that title that it can be applied in different ways it's it's so much more useful than we can't study which is just too literal and direct um but i guess we should just move on to questions huh that's right we got a lot of questions off of twitter discord and reddit that we are gonna be discussing and so let's start off with some twitter questions now there's one question that i think we're gonna say for last because it's the question everyone um, no matter where we at us uh, and put up queries to send us questions, uh, inevitably asked us. So that question that's on the back of your minds, we'll save that for last. So instead, let's start off with some questions from our good friend Marion at Microwavy on Twitter, who asks a couple questions for us. First off, do you have a fave scene where Wega gives an actual useful study tip that you could apply at his age? Just, just, just have him teach me anything maths related. I'd have, I'd have loved to have a Uyghur in my life. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm definitely, same. I'm definitely more in the Furuhashi camp academically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally, what I love about Uyghur is that he 
is an empathetic person and he like understands how hard it can be if you're not good at something and to struggle at something you know i think just the fact that he is empathetic understanding and he can think of creative ways to help someone study is something that i would have liked in a tutor because most of the people who i've had like try and tutor me got frustrated at me if i wasn't getting something and that didn't help that just made me recede and not seek out help which was very damaging so I think just the way Uega approaches tutoring and helping people study would have been incredibly helpful to me when I was young. But I think that one moment where Uega helped uh, someone study in a series that I found very impressive was when he was teaching Aruka English vocab and he he applied her love for swimming uh, to make a game out of it where he wrote vocab words on these balls that Aruka would dive down and gather and it became like a game and that's a really useful way to help someone study it's like to apply what they're interested in to what they are learning because then they are able to retain it better uh, there's countless Engl- English vocab words that uh, I learned as a kid just because I associated them with Pokemon for example so you just apply someone's interests to what they are learning or need to learn and I think you can achieve great results and I think Uega was very smart and that was that was, to me is like one of my favorite moments of Uega helping someone study in the series for sure uh, I um <laughs> I'm actually in a situation where studying in general came fairly natural to me in high school like I I didn't need to use a lot of different tips like I did well enough like not top of the class necessarily but I did well enough in most subjects that I didn't need to do a lot of active studying so it's hard for me to answer this question Uh, I think I'll just parrot what Sid said and say that it's a great like the the way that he incorporates uh, Utica's interests into helping her study uh, I think that that's something that's super helpful and super creative uh, and I just like the way uh, he he did that, and that was done. Uh, so I guess that's my answer. Oh, I I didn't know we had a genius on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not a genius. I'm just you know average at everything. So I can. Oh, so you're a, I'm so, a... so you're a harem protagonist. Yeah, he's Wega. He probably has a lot of uh, girls around him who are coming to him for study advice. Boy, I wish I was a harem protagonist. No, <laughs> no, I'm I'm just a master of none. Uh I do like his suggestion of when when Ogata is is trying really hard to like work out the psychology. He just he just zeroes in on just like the the answer is always in the text, which I think for especially for high school level you know, language classes is very relevant. Um, obviously, you get to higher levels and it's it, you need to think a little more outside of the text. But um, yeah, that that's a very... That, that That's one that I definitely could have used in school. Yeah, that's pretty simple, but very, like, often uh, overlooked advice. Is like, you know, when it comes to reading comprehension questions, like, the answer is always there in front of you. So you don't have to actually like rack your brains too hard. You, if just some, just a little observation and understanding of like how these kind of questions works will help you find the answer very quickly. So I think that is definitely a very useful study quill. Oh yeah, definitely. 
Marion's second question is one that was also asked by a lot of different people. But who deserves to win, in your opinion, versus who do you think will have their feelings reciprocated? Mm, that's a tough one. Now, Marion didn't specify whether this was in regards to the uh, love triangle or just in general, uh, the characters in their character arcs uh, succeeding in their dreams and in life. So we can take it in multiple different angles. I, I don't think, I think on that angle, I, I don't think anyone particularly deserves to lose out of the main cast. Um, yeah. Hmm. I want to see them all achieve their dreams. Yeah, they all deserve to win, except for maybe Kiri Sue. I mean, I don't know. I want to see her. I want to see her get her ice skating tutoring off the ground. That that, that seems like a good, a nice pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the uh, romantic angle, who do you think will have their feelings reciprocated? I really want. I really want Utica to win in that aspect, personally. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I said, I think I said on the last podcast, I want Uruka to win the most, but I think it will be for Ahashi. But even then, I'm not like a hundred percent sure on that because the manga has been keeping it very up in the air. Um, but it, just in terms of like, I feel so, so bad for how much emotional like <laughs> uh, exhaustion the the story seems to be ringing out of her, and I just want her to to be happy. <laughs> Not that that's the only way she could be happy, but yeah. In terms of I, who I think deserves to win, I think Seikijo deserves to win and have her feelings reciprocated. I want her and Risa to get together. So that's my answer to this question. Number one, Seikijo is staying right here. <laughs> I own that. I, I believe it. I would be fine with that. So I'm going to describe this in probably the weirdest and nerdiest way possible, but uh, I watch a lot of reality tv uh especially survivor and in the survivor community uh there is a concept known as edgic which is uh editing and logic which it, it essentially boils down to well you can look at what you're shown and from that it's possible to determine a winner uh because we don't always understand unless we're looking for it but there are subtle things that lead you towards or against characters uh and i think that the editing by which i mean foreshadowing i guess uh is leading to furuhashi right now i think the strongest evidence is for either furuhashi or uruka and uruka is someone who is slowly being portrayed as someone to get maybe written out of the series i hope not written out of the series but like written out of the race yeah just because she's going in a different direction in life. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's closest between uh, Furuhashi and Urika. Uh, I believe they would both be worthy winners of the the sort of harem battle. But uh, Rizu as well, I think, you know, she's deserving as well. I would be fine with that. It's just we haven't seen a lot that leads me to believe that's going to be the case. Mm, fair points. It's a tough call, but, you know, I wouldn't count Fumino out for sure. Like, she has had a lot of development. I think that eventually she will have to confess to Wega, like, her feelings that she is, she does love him romantically. Even if she does not want to be a part of the race because she wants to support her friends. And so, Marion's last question is, what's the best random animal that exists solely to drive the chapter's plot? And I think in terms of sheer randomness, it has to be the dolphin that stole uh, Kirisu's bra in that one chapter. 
Never visit Rapey Beach. <laughs> nope. Uh, all the marine animals are out to get all of the ladies' lingerie. For whatever reason. I don't know what they'll do with it. They just like it. They're just very perverted. I mean, if any of the aquatic life is going to go after women's swimsuits, I, I wouldn't put it past dolphins. They're smart motherfuckers. At least there were no octopuses on that beach. Oh, oh no. They were spared <laughs> that, at the very least. <laughs> Does Pero uh, Fumino's unfortunate dog count? Now that was indeed. Wait, no. Uh, Pero was my uh, what? Miharu's dog, not Fumino's. Miharu. Oh yes. But yes, that was another amazing moment. The dog that Miharu tried to train to learn actual vocabulary and play games. Uh, like chess or something. Yes, she pushed it too hard and it ran away. It wrote a message in English and ran away. Or Japanese in the original uh, trans- version. But yeah, that was uh, that was pretty funny. That was pretty great. Another another character. I wonder if we'll ever see Pero again. Will Pero ever return? Who knows? Maybe that's a future story arc. But yeah. Uh, also, some shout out to the Hammy the Hamster. I thought that was... Yes, uh, I like hammy. hamsters and... Uh, it, it was cute, and it uh, showed us a side of Asumi we had not seen before, in terms of, like, making her a little frightened when she's normally so in control and such a cool character. She she got a little shaken around Hammy. As Buggy described it, Gap Moe. Definitely, yeah, that was the most Gap Moe, Moe uh, Asumi chapter for sure. And I'm very surprised Hammy has not yet appeared again in the series, because I felt that he was primed to become a recurring character. Yeah, especially with the uh, the afterword in that chapter, where it says that he ends up visiting Asumi like, later on just randomly. Yeah, you'd think that Hammy would show up again, but I guess, I don't know, hasn't happened yet. Let's move on to the next question by uh, Kendra, a sniper of my heart on Twitter, who asked, who do you think Uega will actually end up with? And Marion kind of asked this question uh, already, but I did not give an answer to this yet because I referenced Sekijo as someone who I want to see win and have their feelings reciprocated. So in context to who Uega is going to end up with, you know... I, I mentioned before on the last podcast that I did not want this outcome to happen. I This is like the ending that I least want. But I'm looking at the cover of the latest issue of Shonen Jump. The We Never Learn on the cover. And I'm seeing dead center, Kirisu, in a bride gown. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> she is dead center there. Right next to Uega. She's the most popular character in the series. I don't want this. But could it be leading to this ending? I dare hope not. I am very curious to see what the layout of that looks on a jump volume. Because obviously it will have been rearranged to fit the uh, Viz Shonen Jump banner. But um, I'm, I'm going to be eagerly looking at Tsutsui's feed to see if he... Ends up re- he'll probably end up retweeting one of the covers of the Jump issues in Japan, see what it looks like. I think it basically looks the same in terms of the arrangement of the characters around Uega. I just imagine that maybe Ogata and Fumino are like beneath them or something. They're, they're more larger in frame and beneath them so that it makes more of a rectangular formation. Perhaps. 
Yeah, I'm 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 actually looking at the jump cover right now. Um yeah, it looks like Fumino and Ogata are placed a little little more prominently in front, so Yeah, but you know, Kiristu is there that center. She's very prominent in this new chapter, so I'm suspicious. I'm a little worried. But yeah, you you're showing us the cover right now. I said a DM on Discord, and yeah, that you're right. Fumino and Rizu as are prominent, but you know, I'm still suspicious of uh, Kirisu being there, right behind Uega, dead yep, center, right over, right over top of him. That probably means something. Yeah, I don't know. who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? But yeah, uh, I am becoming more suspicious, more worried that that might be the ending. But who knows? I really think that that's just fan service for the uh, like all the Kirisu fans because she's very popular, especially in Japan. She is the most popular character in Japan. She was number one in the popularity poll. Yeah, and I don't know if the like there's going to be another popularity poll anytime soon. Oh, but... I think there is. I think uh, one was set up a few weeks ago, and there's... was there? Yeah, yeah I think I'm so. Ho- I'm hoping the results change. I mean, there's there's another question related to this, which we are getting to. Yeah, that is true. So I guess we'll go into more thoughts like here's to a little bit later. But let's go on to a question from Joshua Paul, who asks, What do you think about the focus changing so heavily? First, it's about skill, people getting better at weak areas because of their passions, only for it to be sidelined for the rom-com. Not saying one is better, just asking. And I disagree with this assessment to a certain extent Joshua Paul I don't think the series has lost sight of what the goals of the characters are and their character arcs because they are uh, getting better at their weak areas and they are pursuing their passions we've had a lot of story arcs recently which are specifically focused on characters making decisions that are to embrace and further their passions, their what they want to do in the future. We had, you know, Aruka making the decision that, yes, yeah, she wants to study abroad to, you know, study in Australia uh, and beyond, like, uh, learn swimming there. And we, we have seen uh, Fumino, you know, confront her father and, like, firmly say to him, you know, this is why I want to study astronomy. I'm f- this is why I'm following this dream. And, you know, having that, like, whole baggage uh, finally uh, got enclosure. We've got Yuiga, who has kind of started to think about what he really wants to do, making that big decision to not take the recommendation and then study pedagogy. So, you know, I think the the series has been very focused on the characters' passions. It's And if anything, I think and the rom-com stuff is, is still there, obviously. But I think recently, the story arcs have been focusing on char- the character arcs and plot progression and uh, i don't think the series is outside of of the of its heart and what the characters are working towards while i i do i do agree with that assessment i and I, and obviously at the time of this recording i'm still not entirely caught up yet but i i still will say that there there is still a small portion of the series that for a while is just a lot of like rom-com shenanigans and not not much progress is actually being made on like the characters or the relationships or and the actual point of the story i guess yeah i I believe at the point he asked this uh he he's been reading through the series and was not fully caught up uh at the time that 
he asked. I would say he would, I would guess he was probably at the Colton point, i.e. the point where <laughs> Colton left off, which, yeah, that portion does get much rom comier but uh, for readers of the manga, I would just say push through that because it gets back to that uh, pretty shortly after and has been very strongly uh, part of that the part of the series ever since. Yeah, Colton stopped right before the turning point where the series started to focus on the character arcs more heavily and with every chapter make progress. So now, now that I know that's coming up, I'm going to keep reading. But yeah, there. <laughs> I just wanted to put out there that their criticism isn't entirely, you know, out of place since we did mention on the podcast last time. Yeah, this is unfortunately a problem with a lot of rom-com series is that the middle drags in the status quo. Uh, pretty much every rom-com I've read suffers from this problem to some extent, including Shonen Jump series. Anisa Koi was a notorious offender of this <laughs> in the middle uh, of it. And uh, even Kamigori Orange Road could widely considered a classic. Man, uh, if you read that manga, like the middle of that, it's like the status quo is just in place and it's not, not a whole lot is actually progressing. But, you know, that's the, that's the rom-com curse. Like, things have got to, like, stay in place just for a little while. Because I don't, cause, uh, for most of these uh, rom-com stories, like, that aspect of it really can be resolved a lot more quickly. So they have to drag it out. Because there are, there are usually, uh, there are always these artificial barriers. But, like, the act of confessing your feelings to someone is something that should you know, be kind of easy to do. People do it, like, all the time, uh, you know, even if they have to spend some time working up the courage to do it, but, you know, they have to drag it out with the series to make it last a certain amount of time. But let's move on to a question from Green Kirby slash Terrence of the Light Novel Podcast, who asks, how do you feel about the voices in the show? Are they fitting for the cast? And so let's start off with that question. What do we think about the performances in the We Live or Learn anime? What do we think about the voice choices? They all sounded about high I imagined, with the exception of Ogata, but I think that's just because I give Ogata a really strange voice uh, when I read the when I read it out. She always sounds like a little bit kind of gruff and like boyish <laughs> hmm. for some reason. I I mean I could see that when I, when I, I mean like in my head. <laughs> Yeah, I I thought I thought everybody sounded fine, um, but it's also one of those things where like, you know, I think all the performances sound fine, but like nothing really like stood out to me personally. I would feel the same. I thought the voices fit the characters, but nothing necessarily stood out in terms of performance. I will say that I think that Lynn, who plays Kuroso, I felt that her voice was off just slightly because I. I feel Kirisu's voice should be a little deeper than that, but it wasn't a bad performance. Uh, she still got across the characterization. I just, when I have, uh, the voice I have for Kirisu in my head is a little deeper than what uh, she, her pitch of her voice was. But uh, fun fact about Lynn, uh, she played Gilda in the Promise Neverland anime. So he's back this season playing another, uh, in another Shonen Jump series. Yeah, I, I don't think that any voices stood out as, you know, particularly dead on as in like, oh, that's that's exactly how I imagined their voice. Uh, but, you know, better than that, no voices seemed slightly off to me. Uh, that's yeah, good, voices, yeah. Like they didn't stand out as, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, like 
I know with uh, with the promised Neverland, Ray's voice caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but either way, like there's three things I think to keep in mind. One, we've only seen the first episode. We we haven't heard much from most of the cast, so mm. it's really hard to judge too much. That's true. Uh, two, the voices may like the the performances may evolve over time, so it's kind of hard to judge with these characters that we're only hearing a little bit of. And three, um, I completely forgot what three was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is a fair point, and it would be interesting to kind of see, like, kind of at, at least at the end of this core, like, you know, to see how um, how, how the voice actors evolve with their character uh, characters and how, like, you know, j- just to see, like, how comfortable they become voicing their characters. Mm-hmm. I think they'll definitely grow into those roles, and if there are any voices that we feel off now, I'm sure down the line they'll we'll find we might find ourselves saying, "Oh no, that was a perfect casting. They're a perfect fit." Like with Ray in Promise Neverland, I was initially taken aback by uh, the Seiyu because I the voice was definitely not sound like uh, what I was imagining in my head. Uh, of course, I kind of been a little tainted by uh, hashtag Ray from Weekly Long Recap, but. Nevertheless, uh, as the series went on, you know, the performance I felt was just spot on. So, yeah, that 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 was three for me. The the idea that even if it sounds weird at first, we may grow to be like, oh, no, this is right. Yeah, this sounds. Oh, yeah. See, just just to stick to the promised Neverland for a minute. uh, Ray doesn't bother me personally just because he I'm pretty sure I forget her name, but I'm pretty sure that's the same voice actor who voices Killua in the 2011 Hunter Hunter and uh, honestly, I'm. I think I'm okay with that voice in particular. <laughs> I don't know. I'm for 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 some reason. I'm I'm fine with Ray sounding like Kilowa because somehow it fits to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I tend not to like think too much about how a cast of voices sound unless it's for something long running. Um, so Hunter Hunter is a good example, uh, or Monogatari, or One Piece. Like if it's something that I'm very attached to that's been going for a while, I tend to get more concrete opinions on how each of the voices sound. Whereas for shorter series or series that have only been going for a season, it's less on my mind. And the next question that uh, they asked was one that we kind of answered before, which pairing are you rooting for to end up together? And uh, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that Seiki Joe should end up with Rizu. So we'll just move (laughs) on. Anyway, we got our final Twitter question comes from Reed Actage uh, at level dash D. And they ask, how do you feel about the anime's character designs compared to the manga? I really like them, but I've also heard a lot of complaints. I I think they fall short. And I I just think that the artwork in general, if you compare the art from, say, the the color spreads that came out this, this week to the anime art, even the promo art of the anime, that it's it's night and day. Uh I don't think it has nearly the the personality or the polish. I would agree. I think the character I I think the actual line art of the character designs, those are fine. I think that the color uh choices, I think the aesthetic is a little too shiny and kind of plasticky for me. Yep. Like they yeah. they look too dolled up with like all these highlights and they they feel like very out of place in the world which is kind of very flatly rendered 
you know, in terms of the backgrounds and stuff. And that really stands out to me. Like, they have so many highlights, even during nighttime scenes, like in their hair and on their clothes. And I'm like, you know, these, these, are they, are these people like, they must really put on a lot of soap or lather themselves with lotion or something to be so shiny and smooth. Yeah, Furuhashi and Uraka's hair in particular really stand out to me because they are much more vibrant colors in the anime. And it's weird because in, in the manga, they're more subdued. Uh, Uraka especially, like increasingly, her hair is becoming increasingly brown over pink, I would say, in, you know, just all the, the artwork. Uh, but because like with Furuha- uh, Furuhashi and Uraka in particular, uh, because their hair is rendered as black in the uh, in the manga, it's like the fact that their hair is so bright just really stands out. Yeah, she's blue haired in the anime. Like it, they've turned up like their their hair colors like to such a saturated extent. They're so bright. Like Aruka, like it's a darkish red in the manga now, but it's such a bright red in the in the anime. It's borderline pinkish. Yeah, that 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 kind of that kind of took me by surprise, honestly. And this is a problem I've had, like, with a lot of anime color palettes uh, these days, is that the color choices are just so bright that there's just no, there's no sense of contrast, and the characters just, like, feel so out of place in the environments. This is probably, like, my biggest aesthetic problem with the new Fruits Basket anime, which is otherwise, you know, lovingly made, is just that it looks just so, the color choices are just so bright even in nighttime scenes that it's it 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 takes me out of it and it's like i look back at older stuff with more muted colors uh, and that just looks more natural to me but yeah i i feel that me never learn just takes it to a whole other level though with like making some lively color choices there yeah i definitely i definitely think it's it's a modern anime thing everything has a certain sheen to it and has that kind of palette Consequence. This is a a some a little bit of a consequence of a digital coloring, but it's not. It's something that could be uh, refined, fine tuned. I think you know we could find a middle ground between the super shiny look and a more muted look. I think. I mean, I guess I feel like this. It's a similar situation with the Nisekoi manga compared to the the anime. Like the. Uh... I look at the color pages and volume covers of the manga, and it it does have that nicer, more easy on the eyes kind of uh, look to it. Right. I mean, another factor, though, that I guess I would keep in mind is that the anime, in terms of like the shading on the characters, it is more simplified than in the manga, where there's more like gradients, there's like more transition between colors and like uh, the texture of everything. Also. In the case of the manga, they only have to do color in limited quantities, whereas with the anime, that's it, that's all it is. Yeah, an anime has to be full color for a full 22 minutes, but with a manga, it's only full color for a couple pages. But yeah. Plus, the, the other thing with the character designs is, like, they have to be character designs that translate into animation, and that's always tough, and it's especially tough with a series like We Never Learn, where the character expressions are such a big part of it. Like, it's it's a gag manga, so there's a lot of reaction faces that need to be pulled off. And in animation, like, they either have to be completely super deformed or they look like they're going off model. And it's a little easier to pull that off in manga. 
Yeah, I think the line art for the character designs in the anime is really well done in that respect because it is loose and simplified enough to allow to for some expressive animation. Not And I think that, you know, works in its favor. I think that the designs work in that respect. It's just a, the color palette is something that I think it, it does look a little garish to me, for sure. But... I think that does it for questions on Twitter. So now we've got some Discord questions to go through. We'll start off from some questions from Triria, who asked what was uh, our favorite scene slash chapter from the series. And for them, it will always be the Fumino sharing a futon with Naruyuki scene. Uh, the, the scene that just totally gets me, got got me like hook, line, and sinker was when uh, Furuhashi was trying to have a phone conversation with both Yuiga and Takamoto at the same time, um, <laughs> like text them, and she accidentally texts him to say that her pony to tell Uruka her ponytail looks cute, and she just has a moment where she like kind of laughs nervously and then asks him to do it again and it's ah oh, it's so adorable i it, i just i died <laughs> oh one of my favorite uh Sekijo moments is in that chapter when Sekijo randomly uh messages fumino saying hey i got uh, my hairstyle uh, changed up which do you think rizu uh, will think is sexier and she's like why are you texting me this who cares <laughs> yeah that's that's how the wires got crossed in the first place yeah and then the misunderstanding at the end where she's like She's like, can we be friends? <laughs> or something yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, a lot of my favorite scenes are uh, secondary scenes because I love that character. But I think my, my favorite like scene in terms of like, emotional impact... Man, that cha- like the chapter where Fumino is confronting her dad and revealing what the message her mother left behind in her laptop was. And then like that understanding afterwards. Like, like I, think th- I thought that was just such a powerful like end to that arc and so that was really great and with the kirisu arc 2 the most recent one i really love the moment where i know again i mentioned this in the last podcast where after everything is all done she she decides to finally call her parents after being estranged from them for so long and you know we don't even we don't see what her parents reaction is but we can interpret from her words that they start crying and that was like a really just small powerful moment and uh, there's another really great curious scene it's in the chapter where uh she there she's holding these mock interviews and uh you know she's she's interviewed with rizu and fumino and kind of like broken them down by exposing the holes and like th- how they approach the interview and then after yuiga like you know is doing his interview and he gives his answer of you know i'm good at studying and being poor and then he's saying you know i guess i i don't really know my strong points and then kirisu is like you know you're good at uh helping people study uh you're you're good at finding the strong points of other and that is a strength and, and she gives a, like a really mature speech there and i think that's one of her best moments in terms of like being a mentor figure kind of character and like i like her moment at the end of the chapter where she's like thinking man this is ridiculous how can these kids be expected to like know what they want to do in the future like even adults are not so sure of of what their future what they want their future is like i thought that was a really great moment too that really like got to the heart of like her character and her uncertainty so there are a lot of really good uh emotional moments there are a lot of really nice moments in the series that i that, but those like just immediately came to mind for me. Uh, Buggy Colton, do you have any you would like mention? Mm. Um, I might have mentioned it on the last podcast, but uh, 
and I forget the chapter number off the top of my head, but I really do like that chapter where uh, Asumi and Yuiga are going around uh, taking uh, house cleaning jobs, but by happenstance, every every one of their customers, you know, is obviously, you know, all, all the people they know, and they all have some kind of you know, infatuation with, uh, with Uiga, you know, they, they don't, they don't want him to see what their living space looks like. So they just end up cleaning, uh, do the cleaning themselves, uh, which obviously, uh, kind of annoys Asumi because she's like, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I thought I was getting paid to work, not like, you know, hang out and eat, like what's going on. Um, I, I thought that was a really funny chapter. Um, in terms of like specific moments, um, I, I can't really think of like, too many like really small moments that really like stand out to me um i i guess other than like um what was it it, it was it was around the around the chapters where like uh where ogata tried to get Uiga to like kiss her kiss her just to see what like what a kiss is like yeah that was a good one uh i i, I remember like really digging the end of uh one of those chapters where like you know, the, the the chapter at the time just ends with you know Ogata seemingly stealing a kiss from Yuiga, and I couldn't I couldn't help but be like, damn, she's smooth. Like, <laughs> like I, I I got a real kick out of that. I, I, and obviously, it turned out to be fake, but at the but in the moment, it was just like a wow, whew, that would uh I, I didn't I didn't see that coming. Like that just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you remind me of just another kissing scene that is one of my favorite scenes in the series. It's like when Aruka does actually finally kiss Uega and she does it under the tears that you know I'm in overseas this is just a foreign greeting but like just in terms of a character moment like her doing that and like telling him that she is going to be studying overseas and like just going for it like that was a really satisfying like character moment and Aruka's character arc really does have great moments like that and uh, speaking of Aruka we I mentioned it on last podcast too but again like the chapter where, you know, they lost the swim meet and she's like, you know, giving the pep talk to her kohai, you know, who flubbed and caused them to get disqualified, you know, and saying, you know, cry your heart out now because you'll learn from this pain and you'll do better next time. And then her speech at the end, you know, I have to stay strong because I know there are more people around me who are more hurt by this. So I need to be there for them. Like, I thought that was a really great defining character moment for Ruka too. The, the the futon moment that was mentioned before was really good, but I think all of my favorite moments are probably from the uh, the arc with uh, Furuhashi and her father, uh, where you know you get the scene where Yuiga takes her stargazing and like tells her with this beautiful panel with the the starry sky that he tells her he'll support her in whatever she wants to do and pursue with her life. Um, you have the moment where she confronts her father and the two of them watch the video of, you know, her mother's last words to her together. And she tells Furuhashi, look, I used to be really bad at math too. I'm not a genius scientist. And despite, you know, all the faith that your father put in me, my genius comes from hard work. And you can do that too. You can put your mind to that as well. Uh, and then just at the way end of the arc where like she puts her head on, uh, on Yuiga's shoulder and he's like, well, she's, you know, she must be tired, you know, she's fallen asleep again, and she just tells him, no, I'm I'm awake, but can we just stay like this for a little bit? Uh, it's one of the first, like, actual overtly romantic moments between the two of them. Uh, so those are the three standout moments from that arc to me. 
Uh, and apart from that, in terms of gag stuff, I'm a trash boy. I, I really like the, uh, the chapter where Yuiga has to fill in at the lingerie shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's good just, just for the reaction shot where it's just Furuhashi's face slowly over the course of three panels just going <laughs> dead so inside. Good. It's mm-hmm. such a good reaction image. I mean, it's trashy, but I mean, that's that's it's kind of what I came to the series for in the first place. I came for the trash. <laughs> I stayed for the heart. You know. I mean, that's fair. That's a good way to put it. I mean, I've mentioned how much I I like the the dumb jokes about Yuiga and the other girls getting mixed up about whether Ogata's talking about her grades or her like cup size <laughs> because I'm incredibly immature. <laughs> Noven, do you have any other Aruka moments you want to highlight? Oh, the the scene where she's uh, resting on Yuiga's back when they're taking the bike to try and get her her lunch, uh, her bag, is a very sweet scene. It's a very nice visual in general. That is another great early chapter. The scene where she's like making the lunchbox for Yuiga and yeah, like... That ends with them going on the bike to get the lunchbox back. That is, like, I think that's one of the, like, sweetest, most heartfelt early chapters, for sure. I forgot about that one. It was a good chapter, though. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be in the anime since there's a there's a snippet of it in the opening that alludes to it. So you can you can tell a lot of what they might be adapting in the anime based on the opening and, like, what clips they're putting in there. You know that, that uh... That for, the like fake kiss uh, from early on in the manga between Rizu and Yuiga is going to be in there, so that storyline is going to be in there. So yeah, uh, lots to look forward to. Uh, it looks like they're going to go for some real fan favorites, I think. But uh, speaking of the anime, question two is: Do you guys think that the anime will be a success, even though the anime doesn't look that great when it comes to animation? That's a tough question. <laughs> I'm going to be the pessimist here. I I don't think it's going to take off just because it is quite it's nothing to write home about visually um and i don't trust japan to not be incredibly petty about those sorts of things well not japan just audiences in general i mean i think that the anime will not become a mega hit or anything but it will attract a fan base i think that it will probably get a second season uh i think it'll just do decently well but it just won't like be one of the most talked about shows of the season or anything but it'll find its niche. I think it'll help that it's, you know, already based off a very popular manga that people already know. Uh, reception to it has been fairly positive. So I think that it might have legs if it just continues to adapt all the storylines that focus on the heart of the story and maybe avoid some of the more schlockier ones. I would be surprised if this got any more than two seasons because... I don't even, even Nisekoi didn't really get any more than, like, that many. Yeah, I don't think it needs more than uh, two seasons. I think that, you know, uh, if this season ends at that uh, storyline, at the school festival storyline, then the second season can focus on all the really character development stuff that's been going on recently, and then uh, build up to the ending. Because I think that the ending is in sight. I don't know if it'll be this year, necessarily. But I think we're definitely building towards one. So I think that, you know, if they get a second season, if it's timed right, it could uh, coincide with the ending of the manga. And that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. That's what I'm hoping for. Because my greatest regret and disappointment with the Nisekoi anime is that it did not cover 
the material towards the end of the manga, the best material of that manga, which was very disappointing. Yes, I'm aware. Like the the popularity of the show fell off quite a lot over, luckily, its last few years, so that it was able to come to a, conc- a natural conclusion. But I'm not sure why that was. Um, mm, that's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, I think that the, I think the anime just did not catch on enough for Shaft to make a third season. It's it's a shame because as much as I as much as I feel like I don't really like Nisekoi as much as I used to, like the anime was in terms of just as an adaptation and as far as like the direction goes, if we're comparing the two, like I definitely prefer the direction in the Nisekoi anime to what we're getting from We Never Learned so far. Yeah, We Never Learned is more flatly directed, whereas, you know, uh, Nisekoi was a shaft show, so you got a lot of uh, visual quirks that they sprinkled in there. I will say, though, that uh, the We Never Learned opening is a better shaft anime opening than the actual Nisekoi anime opening. And I mean, I I know it's probably kind of unfair to compare the two because it is kind of hard to compete with shaft as far as that goes, but still. So I think... Uh, because the anime's adaptation, like the anime adaptation is pretty across the board, I think that the success of the anime is going to live or die on the fan art and how much that takes off on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, especially for Uruka. I think Uruka is the character who has the best chance to be the breakout hit in terms of fan art. So she she may end up saving the show. That's my <laughs> guess at what might happen. I have a sneaking suspicion that the anime staff loves Ruka a lot too because I noticed that her moments in the opening are very lovingly animated. Like that scene where she is like popping out of the water and she's like kind of pulling on her hair. That's such mood. I, I need a gift. In- I need a gift. Oh, there there are gifts floating around, my friend, uh, on Twitter already. Like people are going crazy for that scene already. I think that, you know, depending on how they handle some of Uriko's uh, most important moments, uh, I think that people are going to be really endeared to her and they're going to really go for her and uh, that'll really support the show. Because the, the show does have some really cute character designs and I think that, you know, it, it's a really shallow reason for it to do well or do poorly, but I think that you know, in terms of gathering popularity and interest and buzz, and you know, for the show, I think that's what we may need to rely on if we want. We never learn to end up, you know, becoming a well-regarded anime. Most of it, I know. I don't think we never learn is ever going to be regarded as like, you know, up there as one of the greatest uh, rom-com series of all time. No, no, no uh, at least not, not in in right now. Maybe uh, with nostalgia, tw- twenty years later, people will look back on it fondly. Because you know, uh, I could be, I've read and watched Kimigori on Road. I like Kimigori on Road. I don't. I would say Nizuko. I I mean, you know, even Nizuko. I would say both Nizuko and Me Never Learn at their best are better than Kimigori on Road. Kimigori on Road has Madoka and Hikaru, but Kasuga, I like him less than Raku and Uega, and there's more meandering in Kimigori on Road. Uh, but, you know, that's a conversation for another time, but I think that, you know, uh, who knows? I think that, you know, ro- these rom-com series, they really hit it's uh, their audience hard when they're the age for it. And then when they're adults, they'll look back on it fondly and retroactively, it'll become a classic and people will forget that, uh, and they, they, they were detractors of it. So, yeah. 
we will see what time uh, will tell and how We Never Learn will be regarded in the future. At the very least, I would hope that, like, I would hope that more of the manga is sold just ha- just having an anime exist. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, I think that anime adaptions generally help the exposure of a series, especially for international audiences. I think so many more people are going to get turned on to Demon Slayer now, thanks to the anime. So I think We Never Learned will also similarly uh, find new fans thanks to the anime. Yeah, and that that's a big part of why, you know, the trend isn't so much, you know, creating original content for an ending for an ongoing series now. It's, you know, you just stop at a good stopping point because a lot of times the anime is meant to sell the source material. Yeah. Almost definitely. And hopefully the anime gets new eyes on, you know, on the series and that goes back to the manga, which I think is quite a bit better overall. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to some questions from our good friend Wensleydale, who asked, Who is the worst dad of the series, Ogatas, Fuminos, or Legolo, I mean Azumis? Oh god, this is a toughie. I think Fumino's dad is the worst, because unlike Ogata and Azumi's dad, who are generally supportive, if not a bit invasive, of their daughter's uh, private lives, uh, Fumino's dad is an absentee father for the most part, and at his worst was uh, physically abusive. He uh, slapped Fumino. Actually, the psychological damage he's had on Fumino is much worse, uh, putting her down in terms of saying, no, you're not good at match, you'll never become an astronomer, stop falling following that stupid dream and wasting my time uh wasting your time too you know i think the the psychological damage he did to fumino is a lot worse i think that you know even though he is you know he has been forgiven and they're trying to repair the relationship now i think that uh it doesn't make up for like 10 years or however of a strange relationship that had negative effects on fumino's self-confidence and so I think that he, by far, is the worst father. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in complete agreement with Sid. Uh, I, I think uh, the manga states that he only ever ended up hitting her the one time. Yeah. That, that one time, just the effects of that completely destroyed their relationship. Uh, because, like he said, after that, I couldn't look her in the eye. He stopped kind of communicating with her. Uh, you know, he told her to give up on her dreams because, like, he was essentially in grief uh and like that just echoed throughout it like he did not allow the healing to happen and it was just it's not great i'm hoping that like they can start repairing their relationship going forward i do want to see them finally try to be open and honest with each other uh just because i mean i don't want them to you know continue having a bad relationship or whatnot but I think it's it's definitely Fumino because with uh with uh, Ogata and with Asumis like they're just a little bit overbearing and maybe like they invade their personal space but it like it's hard to get too mad about them or at them about that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, Hoven Colton, uh, any differing opinions? Yeah, I think you made a pretty strong case for Fumino's dad. Uh, not nothing I'd really disagree with, and I I still think he's got a long way to go. Uh, before I, I he he should be at all left off let off for it. Most simply, uh, he gave Fumino a late birthday gift, which was lipstick, which was a little weird. 
But, you know, uh, he's trying, but there's still a lot more work that needs to be done to make up for 10 years of uh, psychological scarring. Yeah, I, I really want to see, like, it be a gradual process uh, because, like, th- those aren't wounds that just completely heal over. Uh, and I think him being awkward is, you know, maybe not the best way of portraying that. Uh, but I, I do want to see him trying. I want to see their, I, I want to see the process of mending. I just, I don't just want to see the relationship magically mended. Hmm. I'm in agreement with that. And I think we'll move on to the next question from Wednesday, which is what is your hidden talent that you decided not to choose as your career path in school? Did you likewise get pressured to play to your strengths despite not enjoying that? Well, I was always pushed from a young age to uh, strive well academically, specifically in the field of mathematics. And I think the expectation on me was that I would go into the field of academia, become a professor like my dad, or just something involving mathematics, like probably engineering or something like that. You know, that was kind of the path that was expected of me. Like, that's the path that my cousin is on, uh, you know, all that stuff. So... Uh, I did not stick to that. I mean, personally, I don't think I was ever talented in math. I did well in math when I was in younger grades. But as I grew older, you know, I I started struggling in math a lot more. I had to work hard to kind of still do well in math. But that was not my strong suit. Like it was what I was really doing well with was like in English class and history class, like those were the areas where I was excelling. And what I really wanted to do, though, was uh, pursue a career in artistic fields. I wanted to go into, you know, animation and comics and, like, storytelling with art. So that is what I uh, pursued, which, you know, is was not necessarily my strongest suit compared to the writing uh, aspect that I was doing. But... Yeah, uh, I didn't. I did stray from like the path that was that was expected from me at an early age. Though I I did have support uh, from my parents in terms of like, okay, it, uh, letting me do that, uh, and not being like too fussy about it when I made my you know dreams known to them. I say, I guess like one talent of mine that I did not like make my career path was that I was good at giving presentations and performances. So uh, when I was in high school and even in college, like people were saying, oh, you should you should go into acting and all that stuff. And uh, I just never felt really confident about that role. Like I, I don't personally feel that I'm versatile enough and I don't necessarily like putting myself out there in public that much. Uh, so... I did not really pursue that, but, you know, I might change my mind on that in some capacity one of these days. Who, you know, you never know. But, yeah, uh, that's, uh, I think, you know, I can relate to We Never Learn because, you know, I like the central characters. You know, I had one path that was put in front of me by other people. I had a set of expectations that was, you know, I, I was supposed to just blindly go along with but then I was like no I have my own dreams I have my own thing I want to do I'm not necessarily maybe trained in it to be the best in it but I'm gonna I'm gonna do that anyway so uh I'm not not gonna follow your rules or your idea of what my life is gonna be so yeah that's why I really relate to the series but what about you guys um I I I used to 
do a lot of singing. Uh, I, I took lessons uh, from around when I turned te- uh, 15. Um, so it was after my voice broke. And uh, I joined a lot of choirs and um, the, the school chamber choir. And uh, I even did it as part of my... Um, in the UK, they're called A-levels. Um, it are sort of exams that we do to to graduate from school, and um, I did. I've even did solos in front of the whole school, which was incredibly embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> uh, and uh, I I was meaning to continue with it. Uh, I tried to sign up for a bunch of extracurricular singing things at uh, at university, but through circumstances, I just wasn't able to do any of them. And other general interest society stuff took up my time, and I started to enjoy that more. So I've 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 put singing to one side, as it were, pretty much. What about you, Buggy Colton? In my case, it's it's kind of weird because, like I've said earlier, I've always kind of sort of been uh, like jack of all trades, master of none. There's nothing that is really a hidden talent. It's just what have and haven't I chosen to pursue. Uh, and in my case, I guess the biggest thing is like through high school and even through most of the time I spent in college, uh, like I wasn't quite aware of where my passions would end up lying. You know, I wanted to do something with writing, but, uh, like I've turned that into, I mean, it's not a career necessarily, but you know, something to, I do a lot with podcasting. I do a lot with, uh, blogging and critical analysis. Uh, and I think, you know, not really getting into podcasts early on, uh, and not especially like I had kind of a limited intake of media when I was young. It's a small religious town. It, it's stuff, stuff is kind of filtered just due to how society there operates. So it hasn't been until recently that I've really branched out into being able to appreciate, you know, good media. Uh, you know, my, my family didn't rent a lot of films, so I didn't watch many good films. Uh, you know, it's it, just stuff like that. Being able to do critical analysis was a hidden talent, I guess, that I didn't know that I had and that I didn't know that I had a passion for. So uh, that would be my answer, I guess. Well, I guess as uh, I guess as far as hidden talents go, I'm not sure I would really I don't um, I mean, I guess as far as like high school went like. Um, I, I remember, I remember really vividly in, um, I think I was a sophomore at the time, uh, in, in my English class, we, we had a project that involved using uh, windows movie maker to make a video presentation. And I remember, uh, literally everybody in my class just like audibly like sighing at the, I guess at the prospect of having to use this thing, this software that they've never used to do a project, Meanwhile, here I am, you know, this random student in the class who who has spent entire summers just fiddling around with Windows Movie Maker, making, you know, I I, I don't I, I don't know if I've ever like talked about this on the podcast before. I used to like dabble in like YouTube videos and stuff, like you know, making my own AMVs and stuff. But that was such a long ass time ago, and I I feel like if I watched a lot of them now, they wouldn't be very good. Um, but I did used to dabble in a lot of video editing, and so yeah, I was pretty much the only one in my English class at that uh, during that year that like who that actually knew how to use the software and made a halfway decent video for my project. Um, so awesome. so 
I, I, I guess as far as hidden talents go, that was something that, like, I didn't necessarily cultivate in school so much as outside of school during the summer, but, like, you know, it was it was something that I was actually kind of decent at that, like, I never really, outside of that project I had in English class, I never really pursued um, as, as sort of any kind of, like, career path, um, and um, I can't really think of any times where, like, I've been pressured to play to my strengths because that would require that that would require uh, me having a teacher that actually like took the time to really like i i guess took an interest in me um i i can literally count on one hand how many teachers i had had you know throughout my time in school you know high school or otherwise that like actually that actually took an interest in me and actually wanted to help me grow in my studies uh, unfortunately I didn't have a lot of teachers who I had an actual, like, real connection to that, like, I actually, you know, was interested in listening to because they never m – most of my teachers never really taught uh, whatever subject they were teaching in a way that, like, I found, I, I guess, in a way that was interesting to me that made me want to learn whatever we were supposed to learn. You know, I, I talked on the last podcast about how I was the complete opposite of studious in high school. Um, school just never really – uh, interested me. And in general, I, you know, all throughout high school in particular, I was, um, I was a pretty aimless teenager and arguably still kind of aimless now, uh, unfortunately. But I mean, you know, so sometimes that's just kind of how it goes. Mm -hmm. I hope I didn't just like bring down the room. <laughs> yeah. This question was kind of heavy, man. <laughs> Good question, Rensley. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> But that does it for Discord questions. So let's go to on to some Reddit questions, oh which uh, we have some very passionate uh, list uh, oh, people man. from the We Can't Study Reddit. But yes, our first set of questions come from Littner, who they do mention at the end of this that they sent these questions in at 3 a.m. So, but these are good questions, so uh, we're grateful for them. And their first question is, your guys' thoughts on my Fuyu Sensei's f uh, fan popularity and how it's possibly affecting her role and presence in the story? Has she become a glorified fan service delivery vehicle with her recent developments in the central plot? Or has she always been a main character in contrast to the utter later introduced characters like Asumi and Sekijo with no real or especially pronounced development? Well, speaking of fan service vehicles, Litner, if your name is indeed a reference to the character from Tengen Topagura Magan, you have ex <laughs> You have excellent taste. Uh, what what do you guys answer first? Uh, I think because Kirisu is popular, she gets a lot of prominent uh, roles in the story, she gets a lot of chapters, especially a lot of chapters in a row. Uh, so, you know, I think that I don't know what is the cause of her popularity. I think it's because she is the most gap moeist character in terms of like, you know, he, this is the stern disciplinarian, but she, her home life is a total wreck. Uh, she is a, a very disorganized person in private. And I think that, and I think, of course, there's probably... There's uh, multiple aspects to that. I think that there's in many ways Kirisu is a very relatable character just because of how disheveled she is and how disorganized she is. I, I, again, like I mentioned on last podcast, she seems like she's peak millennial in terms of like she is a person who is kind, is kind of smarter than people older than her, but she she's 
doesn't really know how to adult. She's still kind of a child at heart, and she's expected to, like, kind of teach this generation of kids, but she herself, like, really doesn't know that much more than this. She doesn't have, like, that much more life experience and perspective to, like, feel like she can offer them anything more valuable other than, like, hey, just follow this, like, set of rules and stick to the script or whatever. So, like, I think there is a lot of compelling aspects to Kirisu. I think, like, the fact that uh, Sui Sui seems comfortable giving her some of the more egregious uh, fan surface in the series also probably helps in uh, making her popular with certain readers. So I think there's multiple aspects to her popularity. Uh, I don't think that she is just a fan service uh, vehicle, though. She has, like character development you know she's had like an arc that was established from like her earliest introduction that has progressed kind of at a natural pace until like the most recent chapters so i do think she's always been a main character who has had like focus and attention placed on her and yeah i would say that think that all the characters we never learn have development and uh have like real fully developed like personalities and an interiority to them that makes them feel like believable people Mm -hmm. I i do think that there is probably an element of you know her popularity has affected how much visibility she gets in the series um like i i think that you know a lot of this stuff was planned from the start uh she does you know have that very clear arc uh but i would say like she sometimes oversteps what her role in and what her visibility in the story uh, should be. I would say I would like a little more Asumi. Uh, she's, I think she's the girl who, or, and a little more Rizu as well. Like, I think the two of them kind of get shafted the most in terms of, you know, the chapters they get, the story arcs that they, they get. Um, whereas, you know, Kirisu is getting a lot of stuff I would maybe prefer to see less of that and more of the other two girls I think Asumi definitely hasn't really had any growth necessarily from when she's been introduced to now I think she's been a consistent character it seems like she doesn't really have to like grow into anything she just is kind of doing what she's doing and she is like just having fun teasing Uega and kind of like offers some perspective whenever she's in a chapter with him and stuff like you know either she's like a character who either offers advice to him or is kind of commenting about him to other people like in that chapter where all the guys in the study group are jealous of him and stuff so yeah and like she she has a goal that she's working towards and she has a a role that she fulfills in the story but she's not really getting a whole lot in terms of you know an arc uh any sort of development and yeah i mean that can be fine but it feels like she's kind of getting left behind and i think that uh because you know kirisu is getting so much attention i think that that's you know maybe taking away from some of the stuff that she should be getting yeah there's not a whole lot of conflict in her goal like with all the other characters there's like an element of self-doubt that they can achieve their dreams but Rizumi is very confident that you know this is the path she wants to follow and like even and in terms of external conflict like her dad is like you know you don't you don't excel in stem areas you don't need to go into you know the medical profession but it's not he doesn't like 
He's not as stern as Fumino's dad in terms of putting her down and like saying, no, you absolutely cannot do this. It's like, he's like, you know, you don't have to do this. Uh, you know, it's not that important for you to support this clinic. But like, it's not, he doesn't pose like a really big obstacle for Asumi to kind of fight against in the same way Fumino's dad did for her. All right, so the next question is, thoughts on the major twist in the story so far, where Naruyuki's main goal of acquiring the VIP nomination was discarded in favor of Naruyuki's own desires and dreams to be put forward rather than the welfare of his family. Also on the actual content matter of his dreams and desires of wanting to pursue teaching. I think that has been something that was kind of established very early on in terms of Yuega kind of coming to his own by tutoring the girls and kind of realizing his passion for teachings through that. And we've kind of just had a idea of it from early on that he's really good at this tutoring thing. Like he comes up with creative solutions to help these girls study. He is dedicated. He like writes entire notebooks full of study tips for them. So uh, to me, this feels like a natural development in that character arc of him kind of realizing this is his passion. This is like what he sh- what the goal he should be working towards. Like it's actual defined uh, path in life rather than the nebulous goal of, you know, I'm going to get a good job that will support my family. But he, it didn't really matter what that job was rather other than it was well paying. But now he's actually thought about what he wants himself, like what makes him happy. And he's realizing that teaching, tutoring, that makes him happy and he should go into pedagogy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's like as, as a twist, it's not something that's shocking. It's something that makes sense but it's also not something that you necessarily consider that you know the the character arc is leading towards uh once it happens you're like oh yeah that that makes sense uh but as for how i feel about it i really like it i really like these types of arcs where characters are realizing sort of what exactly they want to do with their life what exactly they want to pursue uh because that's something that I personally can really relate to. Um, is something that pops up in a lot of my favorite series. I know it's a, a big element in both, uh, Silver Spoon, uh, as well as, uh, Barakamon after the, it, that, that's after the anime's end. But in, in the manga, like, that's what the series has kind of been building towards as well. Uh, so I absolutely love the inclusion of, uh, sort of that, that decision. Because it feels like the natural extension of a really good character yeah. arc. And it feels true to life to me in terms of Uega's goal changing. Because when you're that age, uh, I mean, even the age where we are now, like, you might not know what you want to do with your life. But, you know, since you might have this idea of what you should do when you go to college. Like, in high school, you're supposed to have this expectation of, like... Oh, you have you have to plan to go to this college, and you have to have this idea of what you're going to major in. You know, figure it out like as soon as you enter high school and work your your during your high school years towards getting into that college. But like you you have to stop and think. Like you know, things might change. Your opinions, your feelings on like what you actually want might change, and you need to be flexible and adaptable. And I think that you Wega turning down the VIP recommendation, what he was working towards at the beginning of the series is like a very true-to-life reflection of that, that, you know, sometimes people's interests and what they want out of their lives and, you know, what they're hoping uh, to work towards does change, especially at that age. And I I really like that message. 
Uh, I, I'm really happy with where Yuigasak is going so far. Uh, it's, it's probably the most consistently emotionally gratifying to me of all of the characters, and uh, that's a lot considering how much I get out of the, the Takamoto uh, storyline. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really liking where it's going with him, uh, tr- trying to get, trying to get into, uh, into an education career, uh, an education course on his own steam. Definitely. And it is kind of amazing you can say that about, uh, you know, the main character of the Harem series. Again, we we mentioned this a lot on the last podcast, but yeah, it is kind of amazing that Uwege has probably the most compelling character arc in the series, which is so <laughs> rare uh, for Harem protagonists. But uh, moving on, Littner's next question is, do you guys believe in Dark Horse Rizu? Knowing that she was one of the first introduced and the chances of her receiving major development is incredibly high, how great of an impact do you think it will deliver and why? Uh, Dark Horse in the sense that Rizu is probably one of the least likely to hook up Uwega. Not necessarily least likely, but uh, least expected. She, or she's expected less, uh, but still has a chance of winning. Lidner is also expecting that she might receive some development in the future. She's definitely due in for a a very a big substantial arc sooner rather than later, I think. She hasn't really had like a big emotional arc about like her growing as a person compared to the other characters. Like we had one for Fumino, Aruka, and Kirisu, but we haven't had one for her. Like the moment where she the whole hypnotism, like two chapter thing uh, where, you know, that helped Uiga figure out that he wants to turn down the VIP recommendation and, you know, pursue teaching. But it didn't really, like, reveal a whole lot of development for her and, like, what she wants out of her future. I, that really hasn't changed. Uh, a lot of Rizu's development was really early in the manga, and that's she has not kind of progressed that much since then. Uh, she has become a uh, like that chapter demonstrated that she is more emotionally aware and able to like understand people's feelings than she she was at the beginning of the series. But it still doesn't feel like there's been a major change in terms of like how she is approaching pursuing her dream. Like wit. Kirisu, we she got a sense of you know closure and affirmation that the path she chose was the right one. Fumino uh, confronted the obstacle in her way. Urika also kind of like got a like some kind of lingering doubt out of her way by like kissing Wega and like kind of getting some sense of closure in her own rights through that. So we haven't had something akin to that, a like a. Like overcoming a big emotional roadblock for Rizu. So I, I would like to see that for her. Can I actually uh, ask you guys a, a question related to Rizu as a character and, and her arc? Yeah. Do you think that she's written to be on the autism spectrum or have some other form of developmental disorder? Especially as the series has gone on, I think that uh, it's kind of leaned into that. Like... I her reactions like uh when Uega like kind of tells her like that he's gonna turn down the recommendation and she's like says she's gonna keep the secret and like her the way she kind of like uh expresses like has her whole mums the word thing in this kind of like quirky 
way that definitely like reads as someone who like it has some uh weird like social quirks that could be read as autism because i i felt like her uh like her character arc felt a little weaker until i until i started actually considering that because like you know furuhashi's goal is she wants to study the stars like her mother uh but with rizu it comes across as well she just wants to play games with people no that's not really it she just wants to be able to understand people and you know be in touch with them a little bit better i think that's what it boils down to Mm, I think that's a valid reading of her character. Like, yeah. honestly, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't at least consider that once or twice while I was while I was kind of catching up with the series. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's an intentional thing on Tsutsui's part. I think he's more he's more playing into a popular archetype. But I could certainly see someone on the spectrum relating to that. See, that's how I feel too. Like, I I think. I think it's valid to read her personality as something such as, you know, as it relates to autism, Asperger's, whatever you want to call it. Like, um, I, I think it's a valid way to read it, but I also do agree that, like, it's probably not Tsutsui's intention. Like, I, I, I also agree that, like, this is also just a, uh, this is also just kind of another archetype that we see in a lot of these different harem series. But I, I, I think, I think both viewpoints are valid, though. Yeah, you you guys make a good point too. I agree with that. Um, like disclaimer: far be it from me to be someone to attempt <laughs> to diagnose that. This is just no, yeah, I, I purely a yeah, theory I on my part. So, but yeah, I'm hoping to see some great development for Rizu uh, going forward. I hopefully she will get some more focus and like her have her own big arc in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. I definitely hope so. The next question is, how long do you think the story will continue? Are we still in the first half of the story, the latter? Or you guys think Suisui Sensei will continue to strive for another street of 500 chapters? Oh my god. I don't think so. <laughs> I, it's not... I, I think we're definitely heading towards a conclusion. Like, the the general length for a Shonen Jam rom-com series is between 15 to 18 volumes like three to four years is the general length for it like Mizukoi is like the longest one at 25 volumes so i think it seems like the lifespan of never learned is winding down like already the series is 12 volumes deep i could definitely see it go for a couple more months to a year but i don't think that'll last for a hundred chapter more i definitely think that especially with the uega giving up the recommendation and like we know we there's a clear progression of time in the series and so we know that it's winding down in the school year like things are coming to a head things are like you know well especially since again so many of the other characters have had like their emotional robots overcome and now are pursuing their dreams more confidently i think that you know uh there's been a lot of I think that the series is definitely heading towards its end. If this series lasted more than 200 chapters, I'd be shocked. I think it is probably roughly two-thirds, maybe, like, half done at... Like, at very least, it's over half done. Uh, I'm going to actually... I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate and say I think the series could play some Detective Conan-style time-stretching. <laughs> and uh, it's it's there's it's going to introduce a couple more girls and stretch it out for another two years. <laughs> that would be. Re- 
who knows? I mean, maybe they could somehow make these last couple weeks of their school year drag on forever. Uh, it's not the first time, like, a couple days' worth of time passing a manga hasn't gone on for 100 chapters uh, in a manga. So, you know, who knows? I mean, there's potentially, like, the the whole idea of you know, well, what happens after they graduate? They're not going to immediately jump into college. There's still work to do to an extent. I think, well, no, I guess you generally have that lined up before. It's been a while since I've been in high school. And it's been never since I've been in a Japanese high school. So I guess, you know, um, I don't know. I think that they can stretch it on a little bit after graduation, but I don't think it's going to be too much longer. I can see them stretching stuff out though yes Mm-hmm. i mean especially when we get into like the final final arc i don't i think that'll last uh a couple months for sure uh even if not a whole lot of time passes like in universe but yeah i, I think though that we're heading towards the end i i think worst case scenario we might have a detective conan-esque somehow this is the same year for uh 25 years plus but uh hopefully the series will avoid that their second semester just lasts for like another 10 years <laughs> <laughs> so this next question is a little interesting because it's inquiring requiring us to like interpret a, a scene from the series here so what do you think uh, about relating Naruki's use of distance in chapter 95, page 13, to one of his three kisses that he's had with Fumino, Rizu, and Aruka, who are present in the lower half of the page's panels, due to the perspective of the top left panel here, and that kiss is the only one with the aforementioned figure distance and a quite little physical one as well. So I put the panel uh, that they're referring to in this document that I sent you guys. So just scroll down a little bit and you'll see the panels. And so uh, I think that what uh, Littner is implying here is that uh, so we see that Yuega is standing in front of a table that has Aruka, uh, Fumino, and Rizu in it. Like he's looking straight on at this table. And this next panel to the left of that, you know, we see him looking straight on. We see like Rizu and Fumino's faces here in the corners of the panel. And like, who is he like facing then like straight on? That would be Aruka. So I think, I guess what they're, what uh, maybe Littner is trying to interpret here uh, is that, I don't know, like, uh, perhaps uh, he feels most distant from Aruka because Aruka is literally going to uh, go uh, a far distance away from him uh, by going to Australia. So, like, she is going far away from him. So, like, she she's not even in the same frame, the same panel as him in that panel. Like, she, because she is, like, going far away and he and is uh, out of out of his reach. So it's a it's a very interpretive thing there. I don't I think that uh, Littner is reading a little bit too much into it. Uh, I, I I mean, in, I think that you could use that as some sort of support that, you know, Aruka is very integral to Narayuki's like character development, his decision to, you know, uh, pursue his own dream. And like that is the impetus that, you know, made him like realize, you know, I don't want the recommendation anymore and then he wants to you know pursue pedagogy like it is aruka telling him that you know what she is going to go to australia to pursue uh swimming there like that made him really uh think about what he wants for himself a little more so like 
Aruka is definitely very integral uh, to that character development that Yuleika has had. Uh, what what it means more than that, and I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it's you could use it to justify like uh, that. This is tying in the Yuega and Aruka as like though that's gonna that's definitely the central couple. That's definitely like the the relationship that will be at the end game here. Uh, I, I think that, again, uh, this is just. This is this. There isn't a whole lot of deeper meaning uh, in terms of like the panel choice. It's just of having this panel here, but it's it's fun to talk about. <laughs> it's fun to analyze, overanalyze these panels, and like uh, think about what could deeper meaning they be. But uh, in terms of the scene itself, it's also a nice scene. Like just Uega looking on at the at his students and like thinking, you know, they're they seem so lively. They're they're pursuing their dreams and like I I feel kind of distant from them. I do like that is a great moment, great visualization there. Uh, any any thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, Lipner. Without like more elaboration and without the context of seeing it within the story myself, I. It's hard to say much either way. All right, then. Uh, so the next question is, thoughts on how the story will progress from here? Uh, right now, the girls are trying to help him in his life-changing decision to become a teacher. But what's the next logical step that the story will take? Uh, I think, like, the big thing now, uh, I think the most recent chapters are focusing on is, like, Iwega has to tell his mom and uh, his family, like, you know, uh, I'm not doing the recommendation. Uh, I'm going to go into teaching and, you know, just have that kind of settled. Uh, and then I, again, I that think was we, literally we'd just like to see some chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, obviously, I think both, all of us would like to see Rizu and Asumi have their big emotional arcs in the same way the other characters have had and then there probably needs to be like a, a final the final arc should be like them having one last major obstacle in their way before graduation and Uega like confronting the fact that Uega is uh, that uh, Aruka is moving to Australia and like have some big emotional closure there like maybe he like the classic scene in oh so many uh rom-com manga of like aruka is gonna leave in the airport and like yuki just runs in last minute to have to embrace her and confess his feelings or something something like that <laughs> now the big cliche look if they're gonna do that they better stop yuika at, at airport security uh yeah they, they better play with expectations <laughs> no here's what happens he runs to the airport and then suddenly his way is blocked by a familiar figure it's hammy the hamster <laughs> except, ham- except hammy, hammy the hamster is is talking like yuika i've been waiting for you and he's got a dark aura around him and then suddenly he transforms it was the devil all along. The <laughs> devil was controlling everything. He was he was the one who manipulated the principal to make him have to tutor the other girls, and uh, the, 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 he becomes the final boss. He he transforms due to his spiral power, like uh, like Buddha did in Gurren Lagann. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! We get a final battle in space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not uh, I'm not not against that. They they get a ship in the shape of Carisu's butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, uh, another serious answer though. I I think like uh entrance exams and college applications are coming up. I think that that's going to be a major part of the story. Shortly after uh this now because the the whole thing with uh Yuiga telling his family that he's turning down the VIP recommendation that's you know in the process of being settled at the moment so i think that's a 
big part of where the story is going to go. If not immediately, then soon. Most definitely. But uh, there is a barrage of uh, some other questions uh, that is in this last paragraph from Lipner. Uh, Sick of your reason possible. I don't know if it'll actually happen, but uh, you know my opinion. I want it more than anything. Uh, Fumino dad and Naruki mom. No, thank uh, you. I don't think those are <laughs> no. going to be shipped uh, at all. No, so I think, you know, uh, th- th- they'll just be friends. A uh, sister ship. Uh, I don't, Mizuki, I don't like, uh, the fact that she's so into her brother, uh, but I do, I do think the series does play her off in funny ways. I like that her apron always has some weird, uh, siscon text on it, like sister story ending. No sister, no life. No sister, no life. Like, there's some great, uh, quotes on her apron uh that's uh, i think that's funny uh how many times has sensei's ass shown through her skirt uh every too chapter, many times to count yeah, every chapter that she's appeared in uh times two or three so yeah well probably over 100 times at this point uh, is Naruyuki's friend literally just the optimist way of drinking on the story i don't know what they mean Omori's by that like so which good. i love it he's got two friends <laughs> uh so what is he that is he referring to the friend who is hooked up with one of uh Aruka's friends like the fact that they're actually a couple while uh none of the uh, well, Aruka and Yuiga aren't a couple, and none of the other girls have, like, made progress in the relationship with, with him in terms of, like, grammatically. Yeah, I don't know what they mean by that specifically. But I do like Amori. I think Amori's really funny. And uh, the other friend, uh, the only thing I remember about him is that he is in a relationship with Aruka's friends, who uh, but are also great, by the way. I, I like that they're so supportive of her, and uh, they're fun. Uh, Aruka going to Australia is good. Yes, it's good for her not not for my heart. <laughs> not for our hearts, but good for our character arc and character development. It's lots of great moments. It's interesting, and that's good. Yeah. Mafuyu Sensei is literally the show's only loner whose only company is her sister at one of her students. Yeah, uh, she lives a life of squalor and isolation and depression and sad. Uh, just like most adults. You know, I feel like I feel like this series should just use her popularity as a springboard to do a spin-off of her like trying to make friends and it's like a slice of life comedy. Honestly, as as much as I don't really care for Kirisu at the moment, I I would be up for that, actually. <laughs> I would love to see that. I would like to see Kirisu make a friend uh beyond her students and her sister. Because I I actually I don't dislike her. There are things I like about her as a character. It's just her positioned as a love interest in a harem series about a high school guy. Yeah, that is not good yeah. at all. Problematic. Because like she doesn't really have any colleagues that she's close friends with either, does she? No, I mean, none of the other teachers are really great uh, in terms of friendship material, considering they all seem to be very interested in uh, how pretty she looks and like making her wear costumes or seeing her in a uh, uh, swimsuits or whatever <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah also i'm so upset that litner's constantly referring to her <laughs> as mafia sensei because it... <laughs> <laughs> not your one true mafia she's not my mafia <laughs> no 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 but uh, final question for Lidner. Uh, it's not really a question. Uh, Naruki is the sole income for his family and they regularly eat edible grass and are forced to forage for their food. Uh, yeah, it's not really a question, but uh, yeah. Um, 
I, it's it makes them very endearing because their family is that uh, destitute that they do have to like forage for food because they don't have enough income to buy all the food to support them. So it it was a very great way early on to you know make Uwege endearing and his motivations uh, sympathetic. And uh, I do every time like the series makes uh, a joke out of Uwege is so grateful to have good food because he does not get to eat well regularly. Like it is very adorable and like funny in a kind of sad way. So I like it. Uh, it's I feel for him. But we'll move on to some questions from Joseph the Dreamer, who asks a lot of questions, but they're only one sentence long. Uh, so we'll start off with this question. I don't know uh, if you share the same opinion as me, but if you do, you could you do a, like, a little comparison on why We Never Learned is not a typical harem or comedy and fluff. Uh, girls are motivated to develop by their own girls and are focused on love fulfillment with MC are some of my own reasons. I feel like I feel like we had a whole podcast uh, dedicated to that <laughs> at this point. <laughs> That's right. And you can listen to it. But uh, I guess to mention one key point that we uh, spent a lot of time on is that Uega, as a protagonist that he, who is very sympathetic uh, with a clear character arc that you can get behind, uh, that really sets We Never Run Apart from most other uh, harem series, which have kind of milk-a-toast, bland characters who don't really have a lot of ambition in life or... And are just there to be like the audience surrogate uh, for you to project yourself on. I mean, before I before I read We Never Learn, I hadn't even properly gotten into Nisekoi. So my experience with Hannah, uh, with harem protagonists were either shy, sad sacks who have no absolutely no agency whatsoever, or complete lecherous perverts. Yeah. Uh, Uega stands out because he's actually a good person in comparison to uh, a lot of other harem protagonists. I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that, like, this is what a harem should be, because, like, harems are generally for a very specific audience, and we never learn maybe doesn't have enough of those elements that that audience would appreciate. But th this is something that is more accessible as a harem so in that sense it's maybe what harems should be i yeah i think we never learn you know it's then shonen jump it's for a teen audience uh, i think it has some really great messages in it uh that you know that audience can you know in, uh internalizes good life lessons uh alongside some problematic elements that are not great but come uh unfortunately with this kind of uh harem shonen story thing i was gonna say like i mean there, there i mean there are certain elements about harems that like you're you're never gonna like totally erase like you know they they just kind of come with this uh i guess genre if you want to call it that in, in terms of tamer harems this is what harems should be uh because there are a lot of them that aren't really designed for fan service like beyond the hijinks uh and this one has more heart to it. It's it's hijinks with heart. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. But something like high school DXD, like that's a different genre. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, from, from, from what I've heard of high school DXD, that's pretty trashy. But it, it also has like, you know, it has its like action elements and whatnot, which actually kind of make me a little interested in checking it out. But I just, I don't know. Uh, their next question is, is Kurosu the best sensei heroine in the history of rom-coms? 
I think we've all we've all pretty much conclusively uh, agreed no. <laughs> well, then who is the best sensei heroine in rom-coms? I was willing to take uh, argument with this because Yukari sensei is the best in a in a I thought in terms of a sensei heroine, but then Asamangadayo is not a rom-com, so who knows? Uh, I don't think that counts. I do really like, I, I guess if you count it as a rom-com, I do really like the teacher in um, The World God Only Knows. Uh, I would like to see Yukari and Kirisu get into a race. Uh, they're both terrible drivers, so that'd be, uh, that would be causing some shenanigans <laughs> for sure. Hmm. Who else? Who is another good teacher in a rom-com? I like Hinako in uh, Ranma Half. Uh, she's, she's, a, she's like a kid who can uh, turn into adult using like uh five yen coin and magic uh it's funny the one, the one in nisakoi isn't great she um she takes her the kids the on a trip to a hot spring and then makes comments about uh which one was it sagumi's body in front of all of the other girls it's really weird <sighs> yeah, yeah that's unfortunate for me it's hard to judge because you know i don't see i don't watch a lot of rom-coms with a sensei you know heroines which like that's a very specific type of character it there's not a big sample size so for me you know it's mostly a sample size of one and yeah you can argue that she's the best but if it's a sample size of one that also means that she's the worst as well so uh okay i think i think the one from world god only, god only knows is a decent contender because she she does get a whole lot up to herself and it is it is a romantic comedy so yeah Sounds good. Well, God only knows is a nice series. And uh, tots on Aruka's chances or lack thereof to win the Uega Bowl. <laughs> that should be a, a yearly event. A bunch of uh, characters compete to win uh, Uega's heart. Second seed. She's the second seed. I, I, I think she can make the playoffs. I think she can do it. I don't know how American football works. I just know there's a thing called playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think she has uh, pretty good chances. But we'll see. Uh, talk about the upcoming anime we did at the beginning of this uh, podcast. Uh, we have mixed feelings, but we we didn't dislike it. We would recommend it. Uh, who do you consider the first real girl, with all things considered, Rizu or Fumino? Uh, I think they were both introduced at the same time. Yeah, equal billing. Uh, I guess technically Rizu was introduced first uh, before <laughs> Fumino. Like, but like in terms of... Who are the central characters who are like all on all the promotional material? Uh, Rizu and Fumino are always together, so I think that they're both like considered the first girls in that sense. Uh, if you have one, share your own We Never Learn story. Did you have this one thing you were really bad or struggling with that you soon overcame with sheer determination and hard work? Hmm. Uh, the massive amount of homework that, uh, I had at the end of my senior year of high school. <laughs> There's that. Uh, I think there was definitely a period in, uh, yeah, actually when I entered public school for the first time, when I was in middle school, because before that I was in Montessori schools, uh, when I entered like a public school system for the first time, I was not used to how things were done and, uh, the kind of grading system. So I was not doing well in a lot of classes, uh, because I just 
couldn't keep up with the homework or like uh, quizzes and stuff because it was different from what I was used to and the learning style I was used to. But, you know, I adapted uh, over a course of time and I did get better in terms of learning good study habits and test taking habits. And uh, when I reached high school, uh, I did excel quite a bit. And uh, some of my best years academically were like my junior and senior years of high school. Like I did uh, very well in high school. So uh, I, I struggled at first with school uh, when I was in middle school, but I got better as time went on just by working at it and uh, just learning some uh, better studying skills. Um, I think uh, the f- first first year A-level maths, uh, I, I struggled with, but um, got by on... Uh, I had a. I actually had someone tutor me, not not an actual tutor, but someone I knew, and they, they really helped me through with it. Sadly, I slipped a little in the second year, but uh, that, there's a reason I'm not studying it anymore. <laughs> All right. So that does it for questions from Joseph. He wished us uh, an awesome podcast, and I think we've had two very awesome podcasts. But we still have two questions uh, left, and one of them comes from Yellow King St who asks, in the beginning of the manga, Bokuben was called a successor of Nisekoi because it's a harem rom-com from Jump focusing in the beginning on two main girls. What do you guys think about that? Uh, is it similar to Nisekoi? What are the, the pros and cons from each series? What manga is better? And who do you choose, Nisekoi or We Never Learn? Uh, I feel like we're all in agreement that we choose We Never Learn over Nisekoi. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast, but I like just in general, um, you know, even with that stretch of uh, chapters, I had a hard time getting through on my first read. Um, I would still say that I prefer We Never Learn Over Nisekoi just because there there's no plot device to like artificially like extend the series as far as it can go, because that was... That was really the like one of the biggest things that really bothered me about Nisekoi, especially reading it week to week for almost its entire run. And uh, that and like, you know, we also mentioned how like, you know, uh, com- compared to We Never Learn, or I should say compared to Nisekoi, it's it's not as obvious who was going to get with who by the end. Um, with Nisekoi, it was pretty heavily telegraphed that it was that Raku and uh, Chitoke were always going to get together. Like, sure, they may have had some obstacles in their way, and there were other girls that Raku could have gotten with. Uh, Onodera obviously being, like, the, the second choice that makes the most sense, but, like, it was always going to be Chitoge. Like, you know. Yeah. Even the character design gives it away. Like, Chitoge has such a vibrant character design, like, even over Onodera. Whereas Onodera's is a lot more plain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was part of the reason why I, I got so burnt out on Nisekoi in its last, like, year or so of of, uh, of its run was just because, like, yeah, sure, this big final arc is happening, and we're finding out all these things about the characters, but it's like, I I had such a hard time caring about what was going on because, like, I, I knew where the story was going to go. Like, I, like... I like I knew who he was going to end up with and that just that just really kind of took whatever little whatever enjoyment I still had of Nisekoi and just chucked it out the window honestly. And I think a big problem in Nisekoi uh, where we never learned differs is that in Nisekoi most of the characters arcs were dependent on their romantic relationships. Very few of the characters had an arc 
besides that, uh, the best character in Nisekoi was Marika, who had a whole arc that was very tied into not just her relationship with Raku, but her relationship with her family and getting outside of a very restrictive uh, role that she was placed into with that family and like uh, fighting against what her mother demanded of her and all that stuff. So that was a series long thing for Marika that was established early on and was gradually developed and like, you know, had a very satisfying payoff and what was probably the best arc in the series. So, you know, that, that, but she was like the only character who had something like that. All the other characters arcs were very much dependent on like the romantic relationships and like that definitely got trying, uh, after a while, after, you know, 200 plus chapters, because there wasn't a whole lot else, uh, to their arcs. I mean, we had occasional storylines that was about something else like, uh, uh, Chitoke had kind of uh, arcs with her mother and kind of becoming closer with her again. And Sugumi had some arcs uh, in terms of like her own relationship with Chitoke and like uh, kind of conflict with Claude and like following his orders and do or doing like what she really wants to do and all that stuff. But that really took a backseat to like their romantic like relationships with Raku. And, and we're kind of resolved much earlier than Marka's stuff was. In contrast with We Never Learn, while all the characters are involved in this love uh, hexagon or whatever, that isn't like their only thing going on. Like they have a character arc, a dream ambition that they're working towards throughout the entire series that is not just defined by the relationship with Uega. It's like their own personal dream and they're, they have the, with their own individual stumbling blocks that they have to overcome and Uega helps them with that. But it's not like their love and their relationship and like their romantic relationship with Uega that like helps them overcome that. It's like ultimately... Yuega helps them overcome those stumbling blocks and pursue their dreams and get closure on certain things. But it's not completely dependent on the romantic will they or won't they or whatever. or whatever. Like, they have their own things going on. They're their own people outside of, like, their uh, relationship with Yuega. And that gives you more story beats. Like, more story treads to follow and build on and have arcs around that isn't just romantic teasing and stuff. So We Never Learn has more versatility in its storytelling. It has more fleshed out characters with our own thing, more things going on. So it's just stronger just in that respect, uh, for sure. All right, then I think we come down to the last question, which is the question we got asked by uh, several people, because I think when it comes to these rom-com series, uh, that's the question on everyone's mind. That's it, And that question is, who is Best Girl? And Buggy, you actually already answered this question on, on Twitter when you said that, uh, who is Best Girl and why is it for Ohashi? <laughs> so explain, Buggy, why is Best Girl for Hashi? Yes, please, please explain why uh, Miss Boring Fumino is, you think, is Best Girl. Oh, oh, oh my oh, God. Hey. That's, that's hot. I came out of nowhere. I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 meant to, I meant to bring this up on the last podcast, but I, I couldn't find a place to mention it, is that um, as, as much as I don't care for Kirisu, uh, Fumino, I think, is the most boring character in the series. Wow. Um, 
We didn't should know. have had a manga fight then between you and Buggy. <laughs> Ironically, like I would not even say no. You're wrong. That's a bad opinion because, like, <laughs> I don't think that Fum- like I don't think that Fumino is boring in any way. Uh, but I can see how like she is much more subdued as a character. Uh, so I I can understand why someone would not like her that much well let let me let me give a little more context like fumino i think is boring because she and and stick with me on this to me she is the same character archetype that um that onodera from nisekoi kind of filled where it's like you know she's to to me she is the very typical like japanese high school girl like she can't cook um, she she cares about fashion and really superficial kind of stuff like breast sizes and whatnot. And just like uh, she she comes off to me as that very like she's kind of the, the she's the petite like sweet heroine type. Yeah, yeah. And to me, like that kind of character archetype isn't super interesting. At least when you have all these other characters to work off with like i that like personally i'm i'm more of a fan of Utica just because i think my tastes kind of lie in that very like very super outgoing like sporty kind of personality um but that's just me personally um i i would say for hashi for several reasons uh one you know literary nerd um that's fair yeah, like, yeah. Her, she has that talent uh and i mean as as a big old literary nerd myself, that's something that I'm going to appreciate a lot. Um, two, I think that she has by far, uh, so far, the most interesting character arc. Uh, and I also think that she has the most interesting uh, romance arc throughout the story, uh, where she is slowly, you know, she's stepping back uh, and encouraging her other friends. She's taking on the... Uh, the role of, you know, someone who's just supportive, uh, and then slowly, uh, growing closer and closer to, uh, to Naruyuki and allowing herself to have those feelings for him. And, uh, another thing that I really like is just, I think they have really good chemistry together. Uh, they seem like, you know, they're, they're really good friends. And in my romances, I don't necessarily like, you know, the romances where they look at each other and their Kokoro's go doki doki. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I like the ones where I'm like, yeah, I can see them having, you know, a long, happy life together. And we've gotten a lot of scenes where it it's almost portrayed as like, they feel like they're family in some way. Uh, like, Fumino is staying at uh at Naruyuki's house for a period of time. You know, Fumino's uh character arcs are so focused on, you know, her own family. There's that one time that they pretend to be brother and sister, and I think that's like something that because they have the sort of relationship where, you know, they can live together like family does uh, or like spend time together in that way i think that it's a relationship that has a very solid foundation that can be built on uh one that you know is going to be something that is long lasting Mm -hmm. i've made my opinion on this one very clear i am fully in uh the uruka gang 
I think the fact that her character arc is focused on like her having to slowly be distanced from Yuiga would make it even more gratifying if at the end of it all they actually manage to work through it and get together. Uh, I think that would be like such a nice like release of dramatic tension for the- for them to actually make it work. Yeah, I I I guess a potential ending for that is it it could be like uh they they wait for um maybe a point where she is able to come back from Australia and it's like a, a little mini time skip. I know a lot of a lot of romance shows like to do like a little a short time skip to when they're all working to like finally have them like actually get with each other. Yeah, so so I could that that could be a nice way to cap things off. And yeah, I she I just generally really want her to succeed, and I I'm I'm the, I'm super invested in that that horse. Hmm. I'm I'm conflicted in that. Like as much as I like Utica, I I feel like I feel like I also really relate to um to Rizu in that like where you know sometimes I have trouble you know discerning people's emotions and tones and conversations and whatnot and. You know, I, I I like to consider myself a somewhat emotionally aware person, but, you know, sometimes I do have my blind spots and it leads to a lot of uh, interesting, awkward conversations that I may have with my friends or whatnot because they, they need me to clarify further what I mean when I say certain things and whatnot. So, like, you know, I, I have trouble with that kind of stuff. So, like, anytime I see Rizu go through that kind of thing, it's like I... Look, girl, I know what you're going through. Just power through it. <laughs> and, and plus, like I said, I think she's probably the funniest character in the series. So, like, if if Utica didn't exist, I not see now, now. Now, the more I talk about it, the more I feel like I'm I might be more of a Rizu kind of guy. Actually, <laughs> all right, get get the whole um the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lum, what's your answer? <laughs> Man, you guys are saying you didn't want to do a manga fight on Best Girl, but I left you guys alone just to talk it out, and you already did it. <laughs> so I'll leave it to you, the listeners, to decide who won that manga fight. Who is Best Girl? <laughs> Colton's choice was Rizu. Buggy was Fumino. Hoven was Aruka. They got the central trio right there by just a sheer amount of coincidence. So yeah, listeners, uh... Let us know who won that manga fight for best girl. Uh, as for my answer... Get off the fence, love. <laughs> now, as for my answer, come on, can't you guess? It's, um, it's Kirisu, right? It's Hammy the Hamster. That was going to be my second guess. <laughs> Buggy, what about you? What's your guess? Oh, oh, yeah, duh, it's Sekijo. Oh no, shit! Yeah, Sekijo, <laughs> best girl! Sekijo all the way! Sekijo x Rizu OTP! <laughs> and I already know I'm right, so I will include that as an option in the poll for best girl. So I'll leave it uh, to be uh, debated by the audience uh, for what your guys' arguments were for Rizu, Fumino, and Aruka. But yeah. I think that does it uh, for this episode of Manga Maris and our We Never Learn Q&A. Wait, wait, I, I, I do want to follow up like with one more uh, thing on the subject oh, yeah. of Best Girl yet. Basically, like I think the fact that we all chose different ones and the fact that like I, I think most of us would agree, I, I guess I can't speak for the rest of you, but I think a lot of people would agree that there aren't a whole lot of outright 
bad girls in, in the series. Like, I could make a case for Rizu. I could make a case for Utica. I could make a case for um, Asumi. At- yeah, whereas, like, with Nisekoi, with Nisekoi, I was literally just twiddling my thumbs until Sugumi showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like, even Kirisu, I don't like her, but there are certain parts of, you know, her character arcs where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can get the appeal at times. I still think that uh, anyone who thinks Kirisu is best girl is has, has kind of bad taste. Uh, apologies if you have Shots bad fire. taste. But, uh, <laughs> oh, she, uh, she, it's just, she's the most generic character of the bunch, in my opinion. Uh, so... I, I mean, you know, fight me on that, whatever. Yeah, maybe me. I should. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should manga fight on the co- merits of Kirisu's character. But uh, I think I will. I think on the last podcast I went into why I enjoy her character at uh, her better moments. But uh, yeah, at her better moments, uh, I can I can get behind you know her being best girl. But I think that that is a big strength of the series that that. I like, for the most part, all the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a single character in Neverland I think I dislike. I like all of them uh, quite a bit. They're all compelling. It's not like uh, Mizukoi, where I really did not like Haru. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> there are characters in Mizukoi I didn't like, but there aren't a single character in Neverland that I dislike. I like all the main characters. So, yeah, it, that's a real strength of the series. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, yeah. There's just a lot to like about and we never learn. And there's a lot to talk about, which is why we devoted two whole podcasts to it. And one of these podcasts was full of Q&As. And thank you guys for sending in those Q&As. It was a lot of fun to talk about. And I think we got a lot of great discussion out of them. Well, that that's about four hours worth of We Never Learn content. You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now I think we are finally uh, wrapped up. We have learned as much as possible about we never learn and now it's time to retire from our studying tire from our learning and take a good rest but before we do that we'll sign off uh, let the good people know where you can find all of us so thank you once again buggy and hoven for coming on uh for the second time to discuss we never learn with us it was a lot of fun having you guys on yeah, it was great to be on. Uh, I, I I had a lot of fun discussing 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 this. Um, uh, I actually I'd, I'd wanted to talk about it somewhere for a while, so it's good to have good to have a place to do that. Mm-hmm. I I really had a good time, and I would say I have learned a lot from these conversations with you about uh, about this series. Hey. Mostly about how good a series it is. Darn straight. I I I, I thought Most I thought you were going to say just how bad our tastes are when it comes to best girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All, all like I said, all the girls in this series are best girls. Yeah. I just side with Furuhashi. <laughs> Fair enough. Um. So I guess yeah, you guys could just uh, let us know where they can uh, where they can find you on the internet. Uh, Hoven, why don't we start with you? Uh, you can find me at Hoven with an H on Twitter, where I I think the bulk of my content is either retweeting art that I like or uh, reacting to various manga that I'm reading. Uh, I also have YouTube, uh, which is I believe linked to my I don't think it is linked to my Twitter actually. Uh, I'm I'm Hoven with an H on YouTube as well, uh, and uh, there I mostly just occasionally post podcasts and. Uh, 
terrible meme videos. So subscribe to that if you want an occasional uh, little drop of, of of juicy memery on your on your subscription feed. All right, and uh, Buggy, where could, the, could people find you? Well, I am at the Ladybug Man on Twitter, uh, and if you want to find the work I do, that's kind of all under the uh, the label the Ladybug Productions, uh, which you can find at the Ladybug underscore Pro on Twitter, or pretty much all of my work uh, goes up on the Ladybug dot Productions. So that's that's the place you can find you know all the podcasts and blog stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely go listen to um, Third Seat by the Window and uh spiral radio i really enjoy listening to both those shows personally thanks all right and uh lum how about you oh you can find me at lumrumiyasha on twitter and as lumrumiyasha on a variety of places including amateur revelation and endless wherever there's a lumrumiyasha that's where you can find me i also write reviews for all-comer.com you can read my manga movie reviews on there so uh just uh, take a gander at them mm-hmm as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323, uh, as well as my other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. If you're a fan of Gintama, uh, please go check that out at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. Or if you're a fan of uh, Detective Conan or Case Close, whatever you want to call it, uh, please go listen to One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. Uh, but as for all comic in the podcast, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. And you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash all-comic underscore. Uh, if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, though, you want to follow us on places such as Twitter. Uh, our handle is at manga underscore mavericks, or you can follow us on mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Uh, you want to follow both of those for the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, such as different news pieces, uh, whatever manga we review, you know, as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything over at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what do you think of We Never Learn? Uh, how are you enjoying the anime? Uh, who do you think? is best girl uh send us an email about anything related to we never learn manga in general the podcast and we will read it on the show again that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple Podcasts or itunes again whatever you call it i don't know um yep so definitely go do that if you have the time uh really helps the visibility of our show and just helps us get the show out there in general so Again, we would really appreciate that. Um, But that is going to be about it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, This has been episode 85 of the podcast. And we will see you guys next time for episode 86. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.